LucasArts. Hello folks, welcome to episode number 17 of the Square Waves FM podcast. Ever so happy to have you with us as always. Uh, I am your host, uh, Mr. Porkins, and my interests are staying on target and exploding. And with me, as always, is my co-host. Uh, I, I got no follow-up to that. I was going to say Red Leader, but there's nobody cooler than Porkins. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hi, everybody. It's Chris again. Uh, so happy to be here with you. It's almost like we've spoken recently, Brian. Almost. <laughs> and with us today, we have a very, 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 very special guest that we've been waiting for to get on to our uh, radar for a little while. Please introduce yourself, sir. Uh, Wedge here. I, I enjoy uh, hanging in the background and uh, pulling out at the last minute. <laughs> 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 so glad to have you oh. aboard, Mr. Wedge, uh, bas- basking in our porky goodness. <laughs> but really, I'm Joe. You guys have heard me before, host of the Upper Memory Block podcast, all that noise. I send voicemails every once in a while, and uh, it's great to be here. So great to have you. Yeah, Welcome. Great to have you. Yeah. So, uh, uh, today we've got a topic that's uh, very, very much near and dear to all of our hearts, but probably most of all to our uh, esteemed guests. Uh, we're going to be speaking about Star Wars games today. Woohoo! Yeah. yeah. But before we do that, we've uh, got. Oh, how did we establish this? We we have the wall, the message base. Yeah, we, we have the wall. It's no longer called listener feedback. It's the wall. That's Ooh. right. Oh, you know what? Before we before we do that, actually, I have a story uh-huh. to share. I've uh, oh. been, I've been away at a conference uh, this week. It's like an Ontario College's IT workers conference, uh, which was a lot of fun, and I gave right. my own little presentation, and uh, that went really well, and I had a good time hanging out with my coworkers and with other people, too, but uh, the real star of this show was one of the keynote speakers, which was at this uh, big dinner that we had yesterday, and that was the one and only Chris Hadfield, the astronaut oh, wow. crazy Ontario, who gave this, like, hour-plus uh, recollection of his uh, life and of his various uh, experiences traveling through space and uh, working on uh, a space station. So, boy, was that friggin' cool. He's a super impressive guy, and it was just awesome hearing this, like, pinnacle of human achievement speak about, like, so casually about the the, the life that he's dedicated to his passions, which is so super cool. So he's the, a pretty good singer, crazy. too. <laughs> he is a pretty good singer. I, uh, he, he, uh, oh, yeah. I've heard his cover. That's right. He he did a David Bowie song, as a matter of fact, while he was there with his guitar, which is super, super cool. Amazing. So this this story, uh, which will be of, I think, uh, especially uh, enjoyable for however many of our listeners and or guests may be from Toronto, uh, he was talking about um, a trip that he had taken to China after his uh, space, tr- one of his space travels. Um, and he went to the Great Wall of China, and his tour guide was saying, oh yeah, the Great Wall of China is one of very few landmarks on Earth that you can actually see from the moon. And so Mr. Chris Hadfield, who is uh, eminently qualified on this topic... <laughs> one of he, the few people in the world who could speak to this from experience, few, right? That's right. Although I don't think he's been on the moon, but he's been closer 
Right, space closer space. than most. <laughs> yeah, yeah, closer than most, and closer to the Earth than the Moon, as a matter of fact. While well, he's been in space, he kind of clicked his tongue. He's like, uh, uh-uh. uh. <laughs> so he said, as a matter of fact, you know, the Great Wall of China, which is an enormous, humongous, uh, man-made structure, is right. not visible from space because it's only about three or four meters wide at its thickest part, <laughs> and it's also made from uh, like the Earth and the material, so it pretty much blends in blends with in, right? uh, with the ground. That's and it also kind of funny. it also kind of conforms to the uh, shape of like the borders of China, which is kind of an organic border, so you really can't see it at all from space. <laughs> but what you can see from space is Toronto Highway 407. Wow, You're kidding really? me. <laughs> that's right. Oh, so that's you got insane. a real right sword crowd. They've taken yeah, enough of my nuts. money, so. Exactly. Oh, have they? A, a, <laughs> I, I oh, yeah. a testament to Canada's great works. That's right. <laughs> well, now you know what you were paying for. I'm sure it was all worthwhile. <laughs> I thought that was pretty in, damn cool. In the future, space aliens will look down at the Earth and say, my God, this must have been taking them thousands of years to build and billions of dollars of taxpayers' money. I know. It must have kept out a lot of Mongolians or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, was that a cool week that I had? That was a that was quite a milestone in my life to have heard this guy speak, so that was super cool. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I had actually like a bunch of milestones in my life this week, and they're all kind of weird. Um, the um, um, oh yeah, sorry to cut you off. Do you have anything more about the conference? What did you get to talk about? You you presented something. Yeah, what did you present? That's oh, awesome. I I presented about uh, technical communication, user experience, and information architecture. It's pretty riveting stuff. And I even worked in a reference to uh, the philosophy of Taoism as a metaphor oh, for nice. user experience. Nice. That was about it. I had like nine attendees at a conference of 200 and something people. There were like six sessions going on at the same time. Holy cow. I was, I was happy for my nine. Yeah, that's, that's cool. hey, that's that's a good Oh, promotion. that's great. It's the biggest conference I ever spoke at, so I was just proud of myself for, for doing it. That's amazing. I'm, I'm so happy you got to talk. Although, I have to admit, the last conference I think that we talked about that you went to was one more organized around open source stuff. Um, yeah, I don't that's remember. Right. That was like almost a year ago. Yeah, it was the Free Software and Open Source Symposium where I got to talk about mod music and open source music. Yeah, products. that was a nice. oh, that was so cool. Yeah, my my uh, partner cool. showed me your slides from it, and it was just super exciting. Oh, that was so much fun! I know oh, they were they recorded every single session, but they like pressed the wrong button when they recorded mine, so they recorded every session uh, but mine. I wanted to, no, I wanted to. Sh- my mom wanted to see it. My grandmother wanted to see it. I was so disappointed. Yeah, uh, what are you okay. gonna do? Oh well. Uh, you, so you, you've had some life, life-altering, wondrous experiences. <laughs> I, I have. Let's um, hear first, about of, it. first off, I must have had a, a dream. Okay, so I know, I know Ben's mentioned this on Blue Cup Tools podcast, and I'm sure Joe that someone, possibly uh, one of your listeners, had wrote in about having dreams about finding games at thrift stores. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I have this every few months. I have one of these thrift store dreams, and last night. It must have been in prep for the podcast. I had a dream. This is this is a weird one. That okay. So I went to in the dream. I go to this public restaurant or this this restaurant, and I go to use the washroom. But in the wa- the washroom, like in the corner of the restaurant, totally exposed to the rest of the restaurant. There's no like bathroom stall doors or anything on it. I just sit down on the toilet, and and then in front of me is this box, and it's sort of half open, um, kind of like just just torn apart. And I like kind of like look at an angle in the box and there's all these discs in there. I'm like, oh, this ought to be good. This could be good. And, and it was the weirdest thrift store dream. I like open this box. Inside of the box are a bunch of floppy disks. And I'm like, 
hey, somebody's just like clumsily left behind their collection of old DOS games. So I start picking through these, and then I like kind of stick my hand in the box, like it's like this infinitely deep box, and I pull out another box that's even bigger than the box that I was sticking my hand into. I lift it out, and it's like packed, absolutely jam-packed with like hundreds and hundreds of like DOS, Amiga, and Commodore 64 games. And I'm like, oh my God, these are so good. They're in such good shape. And I'm like digging through each box. And the funny thing was they were familiar to me, but also unfamiliar. So I was like, you know, for instance, like, oh, here's a copy of blah, blah, blah. I've always wanted that. But then when I woke up, I'm like, wait, that's not a real game. It's like that dream state. Like I've had dreams where I've had gone through the entire dream with a person and in the dream, I know that person. I spent my whole life with yeah. them. They're like my best friend. And you wake up and you're like, that wasn't a real person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just made them up and I'm very, very excited about this. And in this case, I woke up specifically remembering uh, what one game was. It was so weird. It was a, the, game, the game box was in the shape of a big footprint. And it was a copy of Virtual Valerie. Are you guys familiar with that title? <laughs> yes, in name only, but yes, yeah, I I am. same. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, "Oh my god, I've always wanted a copy of Virtual Valerie." The shape of and, a footprint, you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shaped like a big footprint. And then I flipped open the box, and it was actually like almost like um like a pop-up book inside, like you'd flip open the first page and it was really thick cardboard and there'd be like another page inside with a disc in it. Then you flip over the next page and it would have the manual and it was like, it was so bizarre. So I, so yeah, that was, that was a pretty bizarre dream. Even usually in my dreams, I go to like a very familiar thrift store, which I never find anything at. And then, you know, find, of course, you know, this, Oh, it's like all this time I've been visiting. I didn't notice that they had these racks of hundreds of games for $1 each. What it can happen. Thinking? Sure. <laughs> it was behind a curtain or something. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wait, why did, why didn't I go into the back room? <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, but, I did, but I did have legit thrift store finds uh, this week, which I thought I'd just mention briefly. Um, uh, I went to this really cool place that collects, um, kind of goes through the trash, basically, that's sent to our city uh, trash dump. They go through and pick out anything that's usable for crafting, um, like leather or plastics or or paper, or whatever. And one of the things they pull out are old floppy disks. So um, there's this huge 45-gallon drum of floppy disks. And like the poor people we are, me and my girlfriend spent an hour digging through this, like sorting out the great commercial titles versus just like the you know random Red Hat 4.1 boot disk from 15 years ago. Right. And, um, and it's we, still good, we it's still good. Some, yeah, it's still good. It's still good. It's a little. It's a little dirty. It's still good. It's still good. <laughs> maybe maybe my old Aces of the Pacific boot disc is in there somewhere. <laughs> I I I would. I kept my eyes open for anything very important like that. I would have kept it aside. I did find some cool stuff that's going to be. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin any secrets, but it's going to be sent out with the next issue of MPC. Um, hey. I found uh, really bizarre stuff. Um, I found a Disney Berkeley system screensaver, which I didn't even know existed. Uh, it's like a Mickey mouse screensaver, which looks bizarre. Um, I found, uh, Oh, this is a really good one. I found SimCity 2000 and the Skirk add on, um, which was, yeah, that was pretty sweet. Um, Mm. what's Skirk again? Uh, SimCity urban renewal kit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, I think that I, I can't remember if that lets you change, the behavior, or if it's just the graphics, or what? I but I know it lets you mess tile. with the map. Yeah, I think it's a tile editor. Oh, a tile editor—that's what it is. Mm, yeah, I remember they did that exactly. for the original SimCity, so I can mm. see how they would do that for the sequel. 
Yeah, and that was an additional add-on. It was like 20 bucks. Mm. Um, and then there was, oh, we found a bunch of cool stuff. So those are going to go out in the next issue of MPC. Um, can't guarantee what everyone's going to get. Everyone's going to get something a little different, which will be interesting. That's right. Um, and then my favorite find this week, which like I've been looking for this for like five years. Uh, this, this I'm directly addressing to you, Ben Chandler. I was at a thrift store and I found a Texas Instruments PI-85. Oh, beautiful. And I know, I just about crapped my pants. And my, my girlfriend had known I had done the episode about the PI-85 like ages ago. And she's like, hey, is that the calculator you're talking about? And I'm like, where? And yeah, like stuffed into this little display case for 20 bucks was a classic black TI-85. I'm like, sold. So I finally have it in my hands and that's going to become an art project in the future. Uh, oh, that's a great. Art project. Wow. It's that really funny. I, I missed the whole graphing, programmable graphing calculator. Oh, really? Crazy. Just I, just Me because I, I think it was my, my high school basically started requiring them like the year after I graduated. Oh, and so I too, never, I, I always had just some crappy like scientific calculator that, you know, you could just write, all you could do on it was like write boobies. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Our, our my, my school, I lived in like Hicktown, you know, Canada, but I think the school was mandated to introduce technology into the classroom. So we, you know, we had like an Apple IIe, and then we had a TI calculator, which actually was, I think it had le- less memory than the Apple IIe, but it actually has a faster processor, which is pretty awesome. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, or sorry, the IIe is 6502, but I think the TI is a Z80, but I think the Z80 clock for clock is actually faster than 6502. Wasn't that like um, a CPU that was used in arcade games? Uh, yes, the Z- Z80 and 6502 were both used. They both were. Okay, gee, and it's in yeah. a calculator. That's nuts. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And I realized the only reason, because the thing is, they still manufacture the TI series calculator using the exact same frigging chips. What? Uh, and it's still it's still two hundred bucks. Um, How can yeah, this be? Yeah, unless Jeez. you get one of the color calculators that has like crazy uh, color stuff. If you get the low end TI calculator which is still about 150 bucks it's still using a z80 <laughs> how do they justify you can buy like a smartphone that will emulate that for less than that <laughs> I, know. I know it's outrageous and and plus like that z80 processor is probably what 50 cents to manufacture these days you'd think it must be it's but funny. i guess the thing is would they even still have like there wouldn't be as many manufacturing lines that's true them out, that's so. true I guess so. I guess there's like, you know, there's only one game in town and you can dictate whatever price you want. I suppose so. Well, that's that's peculiar. I'm so, I'm yeah, still stuck on the part of your story where you said that you were like combing through a 50-gallon drum or something. I don't think I've <laughs> ever heard of floppy disks expressed in like a a liquid volume <laughs> for quantity before. That's pretty awesome. I th- I think that's more expressive of their value than anything else. Uh, I suppose oh yeah, so. and that, that that was the part of the story I forgot to tell you. Um, the best place about this uh, thing about this place is when you go there to buy crafting items, and I'm and we're buying all of this stuff. So each issue, sorry, each each um, what would you call it, copy of MPC volume negative one is going to be unique. Um, they're all going to be different from each other, and um, uh, we needed some crafting stuff from there. You buy it by the you actually buy by the weight. So your first one hundred and ten pounds is five dollars. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember, like, looking in this bin, and I'm like, honey, do you think this weighs 110 pounds? She's like, you're not taking 110 pounds. <laughs> you're not bringing home a drum for this stuff. 
I don't care if it's free. <laughs> exactly. This is the opposite of free. This is costing right. us time. So um, she was still really sweet about it. She she spent literally over an hour going through each disc, and she'd be like, "Is this?" I was like, "I realized I'm like I'm so nerdy." There's all these people staring at us while we're going through these. She's like, "Is this a commercial game or is this shareware?" I'm like. Uh, I'm like, oh, that's 50-50, and we'd like go through like each game individually to decide whether it was worth keeping or not. So I realized like what what an unbelievable uh, waste of time date this was uh, for my uh, poor girlfriend. This is just <laughs> like in the best days. this is just like in Day of the Tentacle where Bernard smashes a, a a vending machine and he's and gets a huge pile of quarters and then he spends like 23 hours looking at the date of each one. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Or it's also like me going to the the anime and manga store with my wife and standing around forever while she's like, oh, look, it's issue number four. Hey, it's issue number 72. Oh. <laughs> this is every time I go downtown with her, this happens. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I, I guess, I yeah, I put my girlfriend through the same thing effectively. Well, you, you got a, a good understanding lady there, then. My wife's just like, I'm going to go do something else. Call me when you're done. <laughs> I, I have to admit, I, I, I proposed marriage when, okay, so this is what happened. This is, this is, this makes me sound like an awful human being. Um, <laughs> we were going through, and I found, I found SimCity 2000 Disc 2 of 2, and we were already through almost the entire bin, and I'm like, oh, crap. I'm like, it's missing Disc 1. And then we got to the bottom, and she had her pile she's going through. I was going through my pile, and she goes, honey, look what I found. And it's like Disc <laughs> oh. 1 of 2. Like, ah! <laughs> Marry me now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't really like, a question, I guess. <laughs> that's very sweet. You can get uh, his and hers tattoos, disc one of two and disc two of two. There you go. <laughs> it's just a fight. Oh my god! Two and who's two of two? <laughs> that that is such a terrible but br- brilliant idea. Oh, <laughs> you could, or you could be like she could be the original disc, and you could be like the matrimonial expansion pack. I can, yeah, I can be like that bad copy you put on a TDK disc. <laughs> oh, or, or no, hey. the, the crappy ones were Memorex, I think. I can't remember. Oh, they were all crappy ones for me, all the floppies. <laughs> I, oh, I, had, so I had good memories with, with Dyson. Dyson was good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Dyson were really good. Um, they they came in like a special box, too. Yes, they had a nice, nice hard, bo- hard case box. Exactly. Kind of flipped open and... That's right. They snapped open. They were kind of like uh, beige or not, not beige. They were kind of like wine colored, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, like dark, dark purple. Yeah, more like wine. Yeah, exactly. dark purple. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I found one of those empty boxes. I was going to take it. And I'm like, I don't actually have a use for this, but I still want it. Of course. It's the same reason we do. Go back. Yeah, it's the same reason we do all this stuff. It's all nostalgia, right? That's right. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And the other thing I found, oh yeah, the other thing I forgot to mention was while I was there, oh, I was in heaven that day. We went to go get the discs, but I happened to walk by the book area and they had like 10 DOS PC games sitting there. Um, so I threw that onto my 110 pound pile too. Fantastic. Um, anything worthwhile? Yeah. Or anything noteworthy? Um, not so great, but I was still happy to get it. I got a copy of, of Knox, which was. Uh, oh. Yeah, I never played Knox. I think it was like a, I want to say it was an act, late Activision or sorry, early Activision game, but I can't remember who published that. Yeah, is that a um, DOS game or a Windows game? I think it might be like Windows ninety five. Yeah, it's yeah, it's borderline uh, anyway. That's a good find. Yeah, that was an okay find, and I I never played it, so I was excited. And it looks like to me like kind of semi isometric RPG ish kind of game. I can't That's really what tell. I remember. Yeah, yeah, I, don't yeah. Think I, played yeah. It, but I remember it. Yes, yeah, so it came out January two thousand, so it's Windows. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, it's 98, okay. I guess. 
Yeah. 98, yeah. And uh, so well into the DirectX era. Um, and then uh, I got, I don't know why. Okay, this is going to make me sound really weird. Please, nobody judge me over this. I've, <laughs> I've, always, I've always wanted a copy of Mavis Beacon Teaches Typing. And I have <laughs> no idea why. I think it's because think you it's, can't, like, walk, well, I'm as if you could walk through a software store now. But you can't walk for two seconds in any software store without having her, like, staring... At, exactly. Like face, right? <laughs> she's 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 kind of got like that like self assured Mary Worth look. Like she's going to give me some good advice this week. I, like, right. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I'm going to sit and you was, down, and we are going to le- get you typing sixty words a minute. <laughs> That's right. No dessert exactly. until you do, Mister. Oh my God! I'm so glad you guys had that exact image because I was just like thinking like this is like effectively Mavis Beacon in my head when I was like 15 or 16 years old was well I guess she came later maybe I was 20 was like this like BDSM instructor who's going to beat you into submission while you're learning how to type. And I always thought maybe that's what the program really is like. It's like House of the Dead. Like, I type, said sorry, typing the dead. <laughs> it's like, you know, maybe this beacon teaches tantric sex. And I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I never quite, uh, so, so I, I bought it. It's version three. And I can at least say to myself, you know, I, I've put that fire out. It's no longer an issue in my life. Um, I'm good. glad I got past it. All right, Mavis Beacon, Mavis Beacon will teach you a thing or two. Exactly. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. And then the third thing I got, which is really awful, I got it because it's so awful, and I want to send this as like like a punishment gift to a friend of me. Um, I got <laughs> Berkeley Systems Pebble Beach Screensaver. Um, it appears to be scre- screenshots from PGA Tour, um, like the game, that are just assembled into a crappy-ass screensaver that they somehow thought they could market, and somebody apparently was dumb enough to buy. Wow. And then it ended up in the thrift store, because they were like, uh-huh. wow, this thing is horrible. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I crappy. know. I was like, how did it not get to the dump first? So um, I, uh, I took that, and I'm like, now these are going to rot on my shelf and take up space, but I, I don't care. Um, that's a joke gift for someday. <laughs> All right. Oh, that's great. Speaking of so thrift store got... stuff, by the way, have you guys ever oh, seen yeah. Lazy Game Reviews uh, thrifting series of videos where he goes through oh, thrift I... stores? I love those. I love those so much. My wife mm-hmm. and I watch those like religiously. It's a great series. I'll uh, stick a, a link to these in our show notes. I think I saw I the one. To, I... I keep meaning to thrift more to like actually go and pop around because I mean it's you know it's probably a ton of them in Toronto. So mm. oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, Joe, every time you bring up your, your I gave away all of my game story, my, my heart oh. just cringes. Like, I, like, you should actually, I'll be working on an arcade system, and I'll be, you know, like, pulling a chip out of a Pac-Man, and you'll be like, oh, yeah, this reminds me, you know, back when I was, like, going to college and stuff, I decided to get rid of my games or something like that, and I'm like, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it. And then, you know, I'll, I'll break the chip off the mother and go, fuck, fuck, this is Joe's fault. <laughs> 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 So yes, uh, uh, I I I didn't think of myself as a collector until I realized that this is taking up you know a, a fifteen by fifteen office somewhere uh, 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 downtown, and uh, it's uh, it's it's a bad thing to get into. Right. Oh, I drooled over the pictures of that office space, Chris. You you have an incredible collection mm-hmm. of uh, of old games. It's very uh, yeah, and yeah. One of these days, I'm going to have to do something with it. It's just uh, it's just rotting these days, unfortunately. Yeah, your office and uh, and Ben Chandler's house down in Australia are. Uh, yeah, I know those yeah. are like the Smithsonian of video games. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I love locations. I love that Ben lives in you know in like you know Hicksville, uh, Australia, and 
and uh, and he still has you know one of the largest probably has one of the largest collections on his continent sitting in this you know little room. Probably. He just has to he, he just has I to fight off amazing. like you know poisonous animals and stuff every once in a while to make sure they don't destroy his collection. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that was my. Uh, everyone is trying to. Everything is trying to kill you. That's right, and everything is impronounceable. Yeah. <laughs> Charles Waza. <laughs> um. Oh, while we're while we're going down memory lane, Chris, I believe you were uh, hoping to uh, pick the brain of our esteemed guest uh, oh, related yeah. to uh, BBSing. Oh uh, yeah, Joe, we got we got to do this before we get into the the main part of our show. Because we realized, like, of all of our listeners, you probably had some of the most kind of experience in the BBS era. That's, that's um, possible. You're, I you're, have a bit. Yeah, I was wondering, like, how did how did you how did you get into BBSing in those days? I'm trying to remember now because I guess it was definitely like early high school, which because yep. I'm from Quebec is grade seven because you know, Quebec is weird. Oh, <laughs> oh wow, that is pretty weird. Interesting. And uh, I just. I think we always had a modem for some reason, but we rarely used it. And okay. um, I can't remember what happened. I think I, I, I made some friends, like, you know, first day of high school, the people sitting around you become your friends because that's just how it works. Sure. Right. And um, I, I'm trying to remember if this was how it happened at first. I think there was one guy and we ended up going back to his house after school. And I, I didn't tell my parents and I got in horrible trouble because they didn't know where I was because there were no cell phones. <laughs> and... Um, I think he had an older brother, and I think he must have been exposed to BBSing through his older uh, brother. And uh, so we dialed in, and we were kind of like, you know, you go to this place, and it's, you know, there's this message board, and there's things you can do. And you're actually like, for me, I was kind of amazed just by that one thing of that, the fact that I was connected to someone else's computer somewhere else in the city like fine you know it wasn't across the world or whatever sure. but i was connecting remotely to someone else's computer and i was doing stuff on that computer i was taking files from there i was posting things like i was affecting bits on another computer and even today the fact you know i'm a developer and web guy and you know i'm doing like remote desktop and you know virtualization right. and all that and i'm still every time i have to go and do something on a server somewhere and i pop open you know a vpn connection and rdp and all that stuff, and I see a desktop from another computer on my computer, I'm still amazed. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, when I the first time I had a laptop uh, at a job, when they uh, assigned a laptop to me, I took it home on the very first day, I connected it to our Wi-Fi network, and I uh, added our uh, printer, which was like on an LPT port of right. one of our yep. other machines, and I printed a test page from bed to the printer that was oh, in the basement just awesome. because I could. I'm like, like I live in the future. <laughs> exactly. The future that was established like 15 years prior when you could yeah. do that. It was you know, interesting. You know what's funny? I, um, my experience was, okay, so this is this shows how ignorant I was as a kid. I didn't realize that when you dialed up another BBS, you were controlling the whole computer. You know, you effectively had a single user session running. Right. Um, and unless you were on one of those crazy like multi-boards, like I think it was Wildcat supported like eight nodes. Um, but, um, I didn't know that. So the first time I really got a sense that I was controlling another machine and I really don't know if, um, uh, sorry, I, I can't remember what my train of thought here was, but, um, the first time I got that sense was in around 1991 or 92, um, my mom had this, uh, uh, I think I told it the story about how I got a, a modem for, uh, one of, uh, a Valentine's day for my mom, a uh, 14, four. And I think it was around 92. And I 
connected to the local university's uh, FTP server, and then I went on their little list of suggested links, and they suggested uh, the Washington University Archives, wwarchive. Uh, uh, wustl.edu. Oh, is that uh, what WU Archive is? I never knew it was Washington yeah. University. I've mm-hmm. referred to it a few times in my yeah, computing exactly. Career. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember digging through their file system, just going through fo- folder after folder after folder, and I finally realized I was refreshing the uploads folder, and somebody had uploaded something while I was refreshing the folder, and I all of a sudden realized this was a live interactive session mm-hmm. where there were other people uploading files and downloading files, and I was like, oh, my God, if I, if I put a file up here, it's just going to show up. So I uploaded, you know, I think it's the first disk of Windows 95 beta or something like that, right. um, which, which I had on hand, and um, was just blown away. Of course, you know, a day later, my little pirated Windows 95 just got deleted by the sysadmin. But, um, yeah, I remember getting this really, like, like, literally getting goosebumps realizing, oh, my God, I'm affecting another computer tens of thousands of miles away. It's magical, isn't it? It's a great it? feeling. Yeah, it's just it's crazy stuff. So yeah, that's how I got into it. it. Was I think through a friend, and then there was me, that friend, and one of our other friends. I think I told the story in one of my voicemails. We we were kind <laughs> of like a team, and then we had the other our other group of friends that we weren't quite you know we were friends. We were more like acquaintances, but we were like rivals. So that you know they were a team and we were a team, and we would race back to like get on you know door <laughs> games and and this and that. And you know if we got if we got mad at each other at school, we'd get back and you know I'd be attacked and you know my. My uh, my empire in in Baron Realms Elite would would be like decimated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was hilarious. Oh, that's that's amazing. Did you did you ever hear uh, that BRE and SRE had like multi multi BBS support, so you could actually have wars going on between different boards? I th- I did hear that. I don't think the BBSs that I were on ever did it. Oh, but, yeah, okay. That yeah, that sounds. I- because I know I was on one of the BBSs I, I was on a lot was actually a Fidonet hub, so it might have been possible through there. Ah, uh, yeah, that would make sense because, uh, yeah, it supported something crazy like 127 uh, asynchronous players, which is just nuts for considering, what, 1993? Yeah. It sure is. Oh, that's yeah. totally insane. Awesome. Yeah, and Very I definitely good. remember, like, I think I started off with whatever modem we had because... My... <laughs> this is, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, but until we got a pentium 200 megahertz and like mm-hmm. you know whenever that was like probably the later 90s yeah. my dad had never my dad never paid for a computer i'm not sure how he got them but they all we always ended up having computers somehow and every once in a while we would get a new one and it didn't dawn on me until maybe we got our 386 that when he would bring new computers they would actually be faster than the old computers i just kind of figured oh it's a different computer cuz huh. i was i was young and it did <laughs> until and yeah until we were upgrading from our 286 to our 386 and i noticed when we were like transferring files via you know putting them on floppy disks and taking them out of one computer and putting them in another that the new computer would copy the files faster than the older computer <laughs> which maybe doesn't even make sense because i don't think the floppy drives were any faster but anyways uh, it would basically do things faster, and and so these ones just had whatever modem was in there. So we started off with a twenty four hundred. So I I literally had to ah. like you know log into BBSs in monochrome because if I turned on color, it was way too slow. <laughs> <laughs> and you know you would like turn on or turn off like ASCII art and all this stuff, and had That's to just right. Yeah, you uh-huh. would really you could really get it like very bare bones, like monochrome I text forgot. only. 
I never had the heart. I had to get the full experience, no matter how much of my time it wasted. Oh, I couldn't sit I there remember, just watching I, every that, line update. <laughs> you watch every, you don't call it a pixel, I guess, but like every block of NCR come in one by one. I would just, yeah, like, I'd be mesmerized watching it. <laughs> I had to have it all. I remember, um, that actually reminds me of something cool I was reading recently. Um, this is this kind of related. Um, I didn't know that there's something slower than 300 baud until this morning. There um, is, huh? I didn't know that either. Yeah, me neither. Um, <laughs> have you guys ever heard of a telex machine or a teletype writer? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, they run at 55 baud. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and so when you have TTY support, so that's the teletype for, for people who are hard of hearing, um, mm-hmm. so, you can, so you can actually hook up your phone. Uh, it, the TTY is actually a 55 baud modem, and people, in, and I'll talk about this later in the episode, uh, people were using this to hack uh, the AT&T phone system um, because... Oh, wow. Because those are for yeah, hearing the, impaired people, yeah, weren't so, they? So it's exactly. all supported across everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they realized that if you took apart a TTY, ripped the modem out of it, you could hook it up to a computer and the phone system would not be able to distinguish between your computer and a regular old TTY system. Um, so what people would do is, because the phone line detection equipment could easily de- determine there was a computer on the line, but they could not d- distinguish between computer and TTY. So a classic hacking thing in the 80s was to rip apart a TTY system, steal the modem, stick that, you know, uh, somehow, I'm guessing, use an acoustic coupler, um, mm. you know, hook that up to your computer, and then uh, hack, your, hack away at the AT&T system messing with their services and getting stuff for free. Wow. Uh, so, oh, yeah, I, I was kind of like, I can't believe there's something slower than 300 baud. That's insane. Uh, like, what would that I, even I, be used for? But exactly, that. that's like six bytes per second. I guess it only has to be fast <laughs> enough to, like, uh, approximate human speech while somebody's, like, transliterating or typing out what somebody's yeah, saying. Yeah, they're the... just literally just typing away. And I remember when I was a kid, I only saw teletype once, and it was at this um, forest fire uh, control center that my family worked at when I was a kid. And there was this big, big, big typewriter. It was like size, four, four times the size of a regular typewriter. And there was this operator standing there punching stuff in. And it would go... It sounded like, like machine gun fire. It was really loud, like way louder than a daisy wheel printer. And I'm like, what's that thing doing? And my aunt says, oh, you know, it's using the phone lines to send uh, weather information from all around Canada. And I remember just being blown away that you could send, like, Data. you could compress... <laughs> data, yeah, and put it over a phone line and then have it come out the other end. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, how, I, I just remember staring at this thing like, how does a typewriter become information sent over a phone? Um, <laughs> so yeah, anyway, sorry for the for the, the off-track thing, but I, I've had modems <laughs> on my mind the last week. <laughs> That's great. You know, you just reminded me of when I was in summer camp, and every, every day or two or so, uh, all the campers would get mail from their families, and uh, my family was no exception. But one time, mm-hmm. uh, they sent me a fax instead of the letter, and no I was so way. excited. And it was like this blotchy, illegible thing that made me completely <laughs> filthy, but I didn't care because it was just so neat. I'm like, oh, they, my, my letter got here in like a fraction of the time that it took anyone else's letter to get here. That, that oh, really that's, that's wowed pretty neat. Oh, man. I think I stuck it into my suitcase with my clothes, and I got this black, <laughs> this black toner <laughs> powder all over everything. And my parents were not entirely impressed with that, so they didn't send me any more faxes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, oh well, boy, 
Well, hey guys, shall we um, proceed anyway to our uh, to our letter that we received this week? Oh, please. Um, yeah, so um, we, yeah, uh, Chris and I, uh, just before recording this session, we did a little catch-up quickie episode for all the voicemails that we had covered, but we didn't want to uh, keep you, Joe, waiting for too long, so uh, we uh, did everything but this one letter, so I'm going to read out this letter from, I, uh, I'm, I'm wondering and kind of hoping that this is not the guy's real name, because it's way cooler than my name and any aliases I've come up with. This guy's <laughs> name is Brian Blood. Okay. <laughs> That's a pretty awesome name. I know that's like a would-be protagonist from Carmageddon or something. That is a super <laughs> cool name. And I know, he, and, and he's written into my show too. If I'm, Has if he? I'm not oh, mistaken. Yeah, wow! So. Oh, that's funny. That's great. Well, well, no doubt we have you to thank then for uh, this and many of our other uh, listeners and people who write in. Yeah, we so, all cross-pollinate so, each other. I suppose so. We're, we're, we're a, a tight-knit, <laughs> incestuous family. Indeed. We, we DOS lovers. <laughs> so here's uh, – we have a, a, a two-part letter. second part is much shorter than the other from Brian Blood. He says, hey, Chris and Brian, I was listening to your discussion about speakers and monitors from a few episodes back, and I couldn't agree more about making sure you have some quality hardware for eyes and ears. Chris mentioned the funny-shaped Altec Lansing speakers he used to have, and I knew exactly what he was talking about. Oh, no way! <laughs> I started at university in 1998, and the first thing I did with my student loan money was buy the biggest <laughs> beast of a gaming computer that Dell had to offer, of good course. man, along with 19 or 20-inch Sony Trinitron monitor and some absolutely wow. incredible Altec Lansing 885 speakers. That's the ones. <laughs> Those are a few generations later than the ones... Chris referred to, uh, so I suspect, because the subwoofer was huge, and I'm sure the people in the apartments surrounding mine hated it very much. <laughs> they, were a, they were a 4.1 system, but they had an yep. interesting design feature. You could disconnect the satellite speakers from their base and plug them into the tops of the front speakers, turning it into yep. a 2.1 system. Huh. That's exactly the, it, it's like a modernized version of what I had. That's neat. <laughs> Because of what it, because of its wacky curved shape of the satellites, the top half of this new tower speaker would fire at an angle to the bottom half. Oh, yeah. I never, I never knew why they had that odd shape until Chris described the faux surround sound that Altec Lansing must have been going for. My mind was slightly blown when he mentioned it. Anyways, they were hands down the best set of speakers, computer or otherwise, that I have ever owned. The computer and monitor died long ago, but the speakers lasted an incredible 17 years before giving up the ghost a few months ago. That's awesome. Wow. I, wow. I, have, I have yet to tell my wife that more than half of what is left on my student loans went towards buying a computer so I could play games. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing her, she would probably do the math and tell me exactly how much interest I've paid over the years for the privilege. Thanks for the great show. Brian Blood from Olympia, Washington. <laughs> oh, right. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, That's Brian. So awesome. I, I have to follow up now with his part two because it's extremely <laughs> extremely relevant to those closing remarks. He says, quick update. I plug the numbers into an online loan calculator just to see what the effect <laughs> the computer purchase had. I figure I probably spent about $3,000 for the whole rig. After 17 years at 4.25%, it is accrued $3,087 in interest <laughs> for a total oh cost of $6,087. Most expensive computer ever. Oh, probably. Currently, I owe $7,480 on the loan, so over 80% of the debt is for a computer I bought so I could play Grim Fandango and StarCraft. <laughs> Worth it? Damn right it was. Absolutely. I regret nothing! <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Oh Thank you very much, Brian Blood. That was a great letter. <laughs> That's oh, amazing. That's amazing. Did I? I can't remember now. Did I mention uh, the most recent speakers I bought 
for my computer. I'm not sure. I, uh, what did you buy? I bought. I I think this might have perhaps been the best purchase I've like ever made in my whole life. I'm so happy with these wonderful things. I bought a pair of KRK Rocket Eight. Uh, oh, those are nice. Studio reference monitors, which means yeah, that they're, they, they're actually monitors. Yeah, that's right. So like reference monitors means that it's not boosted in treble or bass or anything. It's like the. It, it's, they try to keep it the same volume. They like play a tone from like the lowest. Uh, the reason I bought the eight-inch woofer ones is because they went down to I think like twenty-one hertz or something like that. Really, really right. low bass frequencies. So wow. it's like if they play a tone that's like it's just like increasing from the lowest possible frequency to the highest, and uh, they use some kind of like a VU meter, like a volume uh, measuring tool and they make sure that the volume is the same no matter what the pitch of the sound oh. is so that the lowest sounds are equally as loud as the highest and middle I sounds I didn't know that's what reference meant <laughs> Yeah so it's intended for yeah it's like to give you like a, a nice flat uh baseline kind of a sound so that uh, if you're designing uh music that's or something perfect. like that Yeah so um that doesn't sound I, boomy that's great That's right so I plug this of course into my uh computer and uh, they were, I think they were $250 a speaker, so I spent 500 bucks on these things. I got them from wow. uh, Long & McQuaid, which is a terrific, nice. amazing music uh, chain in Canada. And they match the price from Future Shop, RIP, maybe not, um, <laughs> uh, uh, which was nice. They knocked like 100 bucks off. They were, they were great. To, they're, they're great people there, and I'm so, so happy with these speakers. I ended up listening to like every single album that I... Owned and now that I'm using Spotify, I'm like I'm listening to albums that I had only listened to on cassette on like my forty dollar Walkman and just finding all these new little uh, intricacies and so charms. Sounds in here I've albums. never heard before. <laughs> that is literally the way that it is, and it's so so rewarding. Like oh, it's, that's great. It's like being reborn as you listen to these old familiar things and discovering these nuances. So boy, do I, am I like head over heels deeply in love with these five hundred dollar speakers that I bought. I don't regret it for a moment, even but though that's were, great. Yeah, but I think the thing with that is like speakers are are one of those things. Like you're 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 going to keep these speakers for ever. That's right. They've served me well for five or six years or so now, and they're going to last a lot more than that. I'm very happy I bought these things. I um I had those Altec Lansing speakers for at least twelve years, maybe longer. Um, I actually they they had a tiny tiny little woofer. It was a two and a half inch woofer, but I remember at the time, I mean not two and a half. That's a little small. Maybe it was like a three and a half or four inch. Um, at the time, which was considered gigantic, you know, the next best thing was, do you guys remember, like, Sound Blaster brand speakers that actually yes. came with one of the Sound Blasters? Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, yeah, and they actually had, like, battery. But there was, like, a place to stick batteries in the back in case you wanted oh, to use them remotely. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember thinking around 96, 97, which would be around the time that I got those uh, um, those great speakers that... Uh, that, you know, there was just not, nobody was really making speakers. There were these crappy ones that would just kind of attach to your monitor, and that was about it. Oh, yeah, and those are, or, yeah, that's right, yeah, those are, those are horrific. And all the, <laughs> all the speakers that I wrote all my mod music with were these horrible, tiny little bookshelf speakers where I think the lowest, the lowest bass tone must have been like 100 hertz or higher, like. Yeah, right. Uh, all, listening to them on proper speakers, all my songs are like woefully, imbalanced and one song is louder than the other or one frequent like the bass <laughs> is way too loud than it's supposed to be because it sounded just right on these horrible speakers that nobody else had wow that's crazy yeah uh, so well brian thank you very very much for writing us that was an excellent uh an, uh, an excellent story absolutely and, uh, 
Yeah, we, 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 we feel bad for your wife for helping foot the bill. For your grandfather. <laughs> that's that's like the world's best mortgage ever. I love it. I know. It really is. It actually Money reminds well me spent. of, um, there's a nice little story in, uh, I know I've mentioned the book many, many times on this podcast, but it reminds me of a story from Rob O'Hara, the writer of Commodore. Mm. Um, he writes about how his wife or girlfriend at the time moved into a trailer with him, and they were supposed to go to college together. And if I remember the story correctly, she got a $3,000 uh, loan from her mom to go out and pay for books and tuition. And he took all of that and went out and bought computer parts, and she never got to go to college. Oh, my <laughs> no, gosh. Wow. <laughs> that was amazing. That's, that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like, talk about a dedicated partner. Holy crap. Uh-huh, what a charmer. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so it's. Uh, I, I, I'm sure I've missed some details of that story, but I, if I remember correctly, she missed a year of college because he he blew all this money on a 386, so he could wow. add another node to his BBS, which is just amazing. <laughs> That's dedication. <laughs> Game priorities. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, hey, before we get on to our final t- uh, for our ultimate topic, um, we we customarily discuss what we played this week. So, Joe, can you uh, let us know what, uh, if anything, you have uh, played this week? I got a couple things. I've been busy because over the long weekend I was out of town, but I, I still had some time to play a couple of things. Uh, the, the first of which I, I will do a callback to the previous episode, and uh, I'll just say that Euro Truck Simulator 2 is the best game in the world. And I, I love that game <laughs> so much. Oh, I want to play it so badly. It's killing me. It's it's yeah, it's so good, and that's that. That's actually the first game I ever tried head tracking with. Right. Yeah, oh, so right. I, yeah. I did it there, and then I, I moved on to trying it in Elite. And there's just something about this game. Like I I don't play it as much as I did when I first got it, but it's it's always installed and it's always there. And when I have some time, it's kind of like my before bed like Zen game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you just get like, there, no, you do I'll a just run, do one little one little ride, yeah. Yeah, and you just do that, and you just like it's just. And my wife doesn't understand. She's like, "Why would you want to like play a game that just simulates, you know, something you you can do?" I mean, I can't drive a big rig truck in real life, but she's like, "You know, driving is stressful. Why would you want to do that?" I'm like, because it's in the game, it's not. Like, you know, if if you get hung up yeah. on something, it doesn't matter. You know, maybe you lose a hundred bucks here and there on your on your delivery. It's just relaxing, and you're on you're on the highways, and you're rolling. And I always find like the weirdest radio stations to listen to. Like I'll listen to some like Belgian pop station, or I love that they have the uh, shoutcast streams built right into the game engine. Oh, that is so smart. That's what I wanted to ask about. So, how does the radio work? Is it like do you manipulate from in the truck? No, Sadly, it's, it's no. no. You you go into the options, yeah. like, Into the menus. You have to pull out okay, okay. the actual UI. But uh, but yeah, okay, like, just once it's running, you just kind of leave it going. Or if I'm in France, I go to like a French station and yeah, oh, that's play. amazing. I, and I found some really interesting radio stations, like you know European radio stations that are just hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man, so okay, so you guys you guys are gonna have to walk me through this because every time you talk about this game, I'm just like so excited. When you pick up your delivery, do you have to dock your truck, or does it come automatically loaded already? So you have to dock the truck to begin, and then when you finish the delivery, you have the option of backing your trailer into the into the dock, or you can wow. auto deliver it. Oh, if you, so you if can you, auto. Oh. Right, go ahead. If you do the auto delivery, you basically get less money. There's okay. like a bonus oh, no, you for get, doing it yourself. 
You actually get the same amount of money, you just miss out on a few experiences. Oh, sorry, points. it's experience, it's almost, right. It's almost not worth it to dock it manually, but it's so much fun. Oh, God, I, I, I can't. I, for me, it's like a defeat. Like, if I'm having a particularly bad day. <laughs> yeah. Because like, there's just sometimes where, like, like 90% of the time now, I'm, like, I'm good at it. Uh, and I watched, like, YouTube videos and things of, like, real truck drivers showing people, like, how this is how you back up a truck. <laughs> and you use your mirrors and you figure it all out. Because you have to like steer like the opposite way. It's like it, there's there's yeah. tricks to it. Like you have to mm-hmm. steer the direction that you want the trailer to go away from, kind of a thing. Yeah, that that was always a scary thing. My dad was a carpenter when I was a kid, and uh, he had a 25 foot or 30 foot trailer attached to his truck, Ooh. and uh, I would I would help him as a laborer during the day. So he'd say things like, you know, I have a huge lo- load of lumber. Just an open open face trailer. It wasn't a covered trailer like on a semi truck. It was just attached to like a Ford F one fifty, but He'd be like, "Hey, back that, you know, back that thing up to the house, and let's unload that lumber." Like, and nah. I would just break out sweating, like just just the idea of backing that truck up. Because the first thing I would do is, you know, my my brain naturally says, um, "If I want to go right, turn right." Yeah, <laughs> and nope, not start right. backing up. And the first thing I do is jackknife the the uh, the trailer up against the truck, and you know, you hear from yelling across, "It's like, what the hell are you doing? Don't you know to back up a truck?" No, like, no, I thought that's the whole point. I'm 12 years old. <laughs> and sometimes they make like there's and, and it's sometimes when you get to the end of the delivery and like there, there's certain like obviously there's like a certain set of, of building models and there, there's there's a couple where it's like there's some where you can pull straight in and it's great. And there's some where you have tons of space. And then there's like some okay. that are like the in the city kind of warehouse Thing and like the the dock that you have to go to is in like the back corner and there's like just enough space for you and for the trailer and the truck to be straight so you have to do all this like jiggering and stuff to so it's like a up. fifteen point turn to line it up yeah exactly mm, pretty much oh the friggin' Dutch and their their narrow architecture they have these like narrow brick arches that you have to barely squeeze through and if you're like oh, the tiniest God. bit askew then you you get hung up scraping. on it. yeah. I think my favorite, uh, the only thing is I have, I only have real world comparisons. I don't know if this is, is if this is possible in Euro Truck Simulator, but I hope to hell it is. In my city, there is a very, very low bridge. Um, it's, uh, I think it's got a clearance of maybe 12 or 14 feet. Mm-hmm. And they have these yellow bars that warn you, and you're supposed to drive up. The bars are about 100 meters away. And if the bars bonk your vehicle, it basically means you're going to hit the bridge. And right. um, and they just kind of hang from the sky uh, over this overhanging bar. And so what always happens, like every single day, is some semi-truck driver hits the bars, and then they're like, oh, shit, now I have to, like, call, you know, the, the police, get them to help me back the vehicle out of this, this you know, this narrow tunnel so I can back myself out so I can get on to the right thing. But a few years ago, I saw the world's greatest thing. The semi-truck driver must have been just not had his coffee. He not only bonked the little warning uh, bar, he then plowed his semi-truck straight into the bridge, mm. and it, it tore open the top of the semi-truck trailer like sardine can. Wow. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. It was just like somebody had cleanly cut off the top of the cab, and his truck was okay, but his delivery was completely like mangled. Like, so what happens when you like, screw up a delivery, like if you roll your truck? You, I, I I don't know. No, basically, if you're it's it it's, it's insurance, it's not okay. as re, it's not as realistic as all that. It's basically you can damage your truck and you can roll over, and then you can basically just call for roadside assistance. And what they'll do is they'll bring you to kind of like the closest uh, service center or truck garage, and then you just go from ah. there and you pay okay, like three thousand so dollars or something. So okay, oh, right. oh 
damn, what I was hoping for was like, you know, calling the Cray Rally 2.0 visuals with your truck, you know, one wheel coming off. And so, so they don't like show you all the visuals of your truck right. exploding. No, there's right. no damage model or anything. It's just expressed oh. as a percentage of the integrity of your. Yeah. So unfortunately, yeah. And I know a lot of like license because they, they have licensed quite a few real, real life trucks now, more so right. than when they oh, first okay. launched. And I know when, when it comes down to that, that the manufacturers don't love seeing their vehicles get mangled um, up. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that was always shame. like a sad part of uh, a lot of games. Because I've always been the type that I love destruction derby quality uh, damage models on the vehicles. I just I think it's the world's greatest thing. Me too. Oh, Carmageddon did such yeah. a nice job of that, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. That would have been nice. But it would really uh, break your heart, though, because you own these trucks and you have to pay to maintain them. And even though it is a relaxing game, you just try to be so meticulous, checking your mirrors, like, neurotically, just to make sure that you're not going to bump up against anything because any little scratch is going to cost you another 300 euros or something. It's, uh, <laughs> you have this pride of ownership. Which, and, uh, and, people, I, and people always complain that, or at least before, uh, they complained that the, the AI drivers in the game weren't very weren't realistic because they don't drive well. I'm like, well, that is realistic. People don't drive well. People are <laughs> Oh, exactly. <laughs> That's like, the thing that shocks got- me the most is that nobody, you're the only one ever obeying the speed limit. All the other cars are always going Zipping like by you. 30 <laughs> over, and you're tempted to do what they do, but you get a ticket if you do what the other traffic does. Yeah, oh, you, you, drive you, by, you get uh, pulled over. Well, you drive with their speed cameras in various places, ah, especially when you yeah, get into right. towns and stuff. You get this little news ticker on the bottom with the cash register sound of doom. Ka-ching! Speeding offense. You just got a $450 speeding offense. Yeah, euro, I should say, not dollars. That sounds horrific. So despite these many frustrations that we're expressing, it is a very serene, uh, relaxing game. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, uh, I can't wait! I can't wait to play it so my girlfriend can hear me swearing in a whole other environment outside of my car. Oh, it's so much fun! And I'm pretty sure, like the the Steam summer sale is probably going to be coming up soon enough, and it, you can probably you'll be able to get it for like five bucks. Beautiful. Oh, the sequel's coming out shortly. Um, American, American Truck, truck oh, wow. Simulator. So Euro Truck Simulator will be real cheap by the time that comes out. Oh yeah. Oh, that sounds amazing! I can't. Oh, that sounds great. I hope they have a Canada expansion pack. How oh amazing. yeah, exactly. It's like the first really thing I'm going to do is like I want to drive my semi truck through Calgary. It's like Mad Max. Oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> well, it's like it's like oh I could do the 401 between Montreal and Toronto like I do when I go see my parents. <laughs> yeah, most boring highway in the world. <laughs> Isn't it? I know. <laughs> it's like desolate. <laughs> oh, so that's great. So is that with the that's the bulk of what you played this week? Oh, uh, that's uh, that's Joe? the main thing, and then. Uh, I'm also. I also spend some time in City Skylines, which I have to thank you for, Brian. Oh, oh that's right. right! Happy happy belated birthday. Yeah, I was uh, kind of uh, casually or jo- jokingly posting around my birthday, which was back in March, that uh, oh, you know, it's my birthday. I could buy City Skylines as a you know, I, I deserve it, don't I? Because I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really have the money to do it at the time, and uh, and, and Brian was generous enough to send me a key for it. So. Aww, that's so <laughs> sweet. I didn't know that. Oh sure, I'm I'm not so much of a Patreon guy, really, but uh, I had to thank you for all of your hard work and your great show. And I've gotten oh, hours yeah. and hours of, of of fun out of it. I love you know I Good. I love Sims. I love Sim City. Like just and and this is City Skylines is the game that that you know the the latest Sim City 2013, I believe it was Sim City Five should have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, yeah, is this the one Joe that you mentioned was relying on the same RCI model for yes. the uh, for, for the interface? Okay, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, it's very much like they took SimCity 4 and they made it better. <laughs> they made and it's it a fully moddable That's Steam awesome. Workshop and all this stuff. Like, if you want to put, like, 
you know, there's different tile sets, there's different like preset roads. There's like uh, one of the ones that came out that was very interesting. The first, when the game first came out was, uh, I think you could actually, uh, there was like a lot of first person stuff, but I think there was like a flight sim. Oh, oh where you wow. could like fly around and you're like, kind of like Simcopter. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's just like, it's just a very cool game. And I think it's going to, because they made it so moddable and, you know, they're continuing to tweak it, I think it's going to be around for a long time. And it's just one of those things Beautiful. that's just so much fun. Now, am I correct so in assuming, am I correct in assuming that because of the Steam Workshop support, that half the mods put like skimpy brassiers on the buildings? <laughs> it's quite possible. I haven't looked through all of them. <laughs> okay. Well, you know you have. You can admit it. <laughs> Where's the naked mod for City Skylines? <laughs> Ooh, check out that family. Yeah, that's a like classic pastime for Sims fans. Beautiful. Uh-huh. Yeah. So is it the oh, same cool. company that put out City XL like years and years and years ago? I'm not sure off the top of my head. I, don't know. I remember games... City XL being this kind of like com- fairly comparable game to SimCity. And I, and I remember seeing it before, back in the days when Canada still had Zellers. It would be on every single bargain pen I could find. It would be like, yeah, there's a $20 copy of City XL. Yeah, yeah. I I never tried it, but they always got really poor reviews or like middle yeah, reviews. Yeah, exactly. Thereabouts. So, so it's published. I, I, it's published by Paradox, but uh, the oh. city's in motion is what did this this company. Okay. Did. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Which actually, yeah, Cities in Motion was was an interesting game. It it focused primarily on uh, transit. Okay. So you'd oh, have a city, wow. and you had to build like a you had to build bus lines and train lines, and I oh, think I played. It's it's very the first one. I'm not sure if the second one is is any good, but I played the first one for a while, and it's it's challenging. It's very hard to oh, like cool. kind of do it right. right. And they give you like scenarios, like oh, you're in Berlin, and you know, like 1918, and you know, you have to build right. a bus line because the city's growing, and it's quite cool. Wow. Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. So built by them, published That's by cool. Paradox, and Paradox has been doing. And City Skylines became kind of like the biggest selling game that Paradox has ever put out. Okay. Yeah. By a, by a wide margin, I think. Yeah. They, they had really good sales for this one. I'm glad. They were like a, a relatively small uh, developer, so good for them. Yeah, so I mean, aside from that, I've been playing some other stuff, some mobile stuff like uh, Dominations. I don't know if you guys have heard of this. Oh, no. No, I haven't. What's that? So this is actually very interesting. It's actually by Big Huge Games, and oh, uh, yeah. it's by Brian Reynolds, who uh, who did Civilization Two and Rise of Nations. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. And wow. so Dominations, it's it's... D O M I capital N, so Dami Nations. Sure. And right. it's kind of like a play on its Clash of Clans meets Civilization. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So basically, like, you have the whole clash, like, you know, you, you get into a clan and you do, like, these battles and, you know, you invade other people's cities and, and all that stuff. But you can also, but you also, like, level up and you choose, like, a, a civilization to go with and there's a tech tree and all this stuff. So it's actually quite cool. That's a that good combination. Did Brian Reynolds also do that real-time strategy game, Rise of Nations? Uh, yes, yes. Oh, okay. wow. So that was sort of, yeah, that, that kind of had like an Age of Empires kind of a feel to it too, as I recall, unless I'm remembering. Yeah, wrong. no, I think that's about right. It was more like kind of a more modern type of Age of Empires, if I'm not. I, don't... I think so too. So I can see how, yeah, I can see how his uh, like pedigree would uh, bring him to ultimately yeah. make something like this. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, and I mean, realistically, it's one of those games where it's like, you know, build your temple. If you want the temple to be built now, then, you know, pay 100 crowns, and, you right. know, as long as you don't do right. that. So, you know, it has that whole kind of mobile, it's like a time, you know, a, a sit and wait kind of game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But 
you know, if you're, if you're okay with that. And I mean, I haven't spent any money on it and just takes longer to do things. Right. But, uh, but it, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a nice, it's a nice time waster. Cool. Well, that's good. It's kind of nice having, have, I mean, I'm not going to defend that uh, pricing model, but sometimes it's nice to have a game that you know you can't play for too long. Right. It forces you to just do a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's other stuff you can do. You can always fight and like Clash of Clans, there's like, you know, multiplayer battles and there's like single player battles where you attack like, you know, other like the barbarians and you could like hunt around. Like if you want to do just a simple like little hunt and peck kind of time waster, there's always uh, animals running around your town. And you can, if you have available like uh, citizens, because the citizens are the ones that like do the work. So if you if you're right. not if they're not all in use, you can say, oh, I want to hunt this bear, and if that takes six citizens, and it takes like six minutes. So there's a a bunch of like small things you can do like while you're watching TV. Okay. In yeah, addition to saying, oh, I want to upgrade my town center, that takes three days. Hmm. Yeah, I I never got into Clash of Clans. I played it for like forty five seconds and just decided there's a lot of waiting and it's not for me. Yeah, I hadn't I been into it. Games. I was I was playing the uh, there was like a Star Wars Commander, which was like the Star Wars version of Clash of Clans. Yeah, yeah. And I was playing that for a little while. Then I got bored and I didn't want to get into Clash of Clans. But then two guys at work were like, hey, we're in Clash of Clans clan. You should join it. I'm like, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. And then I played that for a bit and I got bored. And then they're like, oh, we got bored of it too. But now we're playing Dominations. It's by the guy that did Civ 2 because they know about the podcast that I do. Oh, and, great. <laughs> oh, nice. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I got to give it a whirl then. And it, yeah, it's fun. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. All right. That's all good stuff. Uh, Chris, how about you? What have you been playing this week? Uh, just a couple of things. I've been busy with issue negative one of MPC. Um, Thank you for but that. I did finish uh, Flashback, the Quest for Identity. I think I mentioned that I was playing it last week. Mm-hmm. Um, Good stuff. And oh, how'd, you, how'd I, you enjoy it? Oh, it's amazing. The, um, the PSP port of it, like I said, it's just, just well-tuned. It's perfectly built. No bugs, no nothing. And considering like this is like a 0.02 version of it, the game is absolutely flawless as far as I can tell. Um, but I finished it for the first time ever in my life, I think. Um, I, I remember I had specific memories of playing this uh, thing on my mom's uh, 486 Toshiba laptop, which right. I, I, I gamed the shit out of one summer trying to finish the game. And anybody who hasn't played or has played Flashback, the first two or three levels are pretty easy. Uh, I want to say easy with a small E. They're, they're, they're difficult enough. And then you get to the Death Tower and all of a sudden things are really hard. And then you get to uh, the alien planet and the game becomes pretty much next to impossible. I um, thought so. Those yeah. are like those shape-shifting liquid alien Exactly. Guys. Yeah, the shape-shifters. Well. And, yeah. and they, they basically, you know, um, stick to the ceiling, they move over and then they drop on your head and, you know, after three shots you're dead. Um, yeah. And so this this time I had save states on my side, so um, because mm. the save points in that game are really really far apart uh, once you get to the last level, so I had save states and I was able to finish it on save states, and it actually has a really good ending. I was surprised it actually has some good closure to the story, um, more so than um, you know out of this world another world. Uh, sorry Ben, I disagree with you on this. Uh, out of this world another world has a terrible ending. Um, you know, flying I thought off it was the... wasn't it pretty much the same ending. It is, it is more or less the same ending. It's flying off into the sunset, game over. Um, but I thought there was a little bit more closure on this one. I thought it was nice, you know, I think Conrad goes into a uh, hypersleep pod and they blast him off into, into infinite space. Um, 
And yeah, I thought that's like the same ending as Out of This World, basically. <laughs> okay, yeah. fine. You, you, fuck you. You're calling me out on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> it, it is the same ending, damn it. But for, this is the first time I got to see it. And uh, okay. you know what it is? I think I actually like the animation more uh, on the flashback ending. The flashback ending is just a little bit better animation, a little bit more colorful, a little bit more fun. And, uh, and I was just proud of myself for actually finishing the damn thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and the other thing is that's this really weird kind of hacky, I'm ruining this for everybody. If you haven't played it, you've got plenty of opportunities too. So, um, you are supposed to drop off this detonator and blow up the alien, uh, computer or something. And they didn't really, I realized when they got to the end of the game, they didn't really have a way for you to plant the detonator properly. And Conrad does the weirdest out of character thing when you get to the place where you're supposed to plant the detonator, it's in the middle of nowhere, on the ground. You also get this pop-up on the screen. Conrad says, oh, I think this looks like a perfectly good place to plant the detonator. And you're just, like, in the middle of the ground, in the middle of nowhere. There's no computer where you stick it into a slot or something. And I'm like, yeah, it looks like you guys ran out of time or ran out of budget. Time to just uh, end, end this shit. And uh, as soon as you plant... Yeah, exactly. Game ends here. And then you have, like, I think, um, like, it's actually tricky. You have about... 30 seconds or one minute to make it back to the alien um, uh, escape ship. And uh, you can, I did this a million times. No wonder I remember it, this. Exactly. And you have to run and jump and body roll and all of that stuff perfectly to make it there with like one second to spare because if you, if you bump into a wall or if Conrad doesn't quite make that weird jump where you're running and he grabs onto the, e- the ledge kind of flawlessly mm-hmm. uh, and climbs up, you're screwed. And I think I did it about 10 or 15 times before I finally got it. And that was with a save state in hand. So I cannot imagine how frustrating that would be for anybody who's, you know, relying upon... Uh, whoa! Sorry, I just saw a hummingbird fly by my face. Um, <laughs> that was weird. Um, uh, yeah, so I finished that, and, oh, yeah, more importantly than that, I've been playing uh, Ultima 7 Serpent's Isle, uh, which is right. the kind of... They used to call it Ultima 7.2. I'm not really sure why. Um, or Ultima 7 Part 2, I think, actually. Um, right, right. And it's kind of a weird, I don't know what to call it. It's, oh, geez. UMBcast just had the whole episode on what to term this. <laughs> 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 a, a spin-off or a sequel. I don't. I have no idea what Serpent Isle is. But basically, it's this little project that was headed by, oh, shoot, what's his name? Um, uh, the guy who created Deus Ex, uh, the uh, developer... Of oh, 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 um, uh, uh, Warren Spector? Warren Spector, yes. Warren Spector's little uh, uh, five-man project, and um, which kind of took one part of the Ultima series and kind of opened it up into its own world. And it's really incredibly well-written. I mean, like, there's just... I mean, kind of, to me, rivals Planescape Torment for these massively long dialogue trees. Um, but it's also kind of buggy and not really well-tested, lots of spelling mistakes, which kind of surprises me from a game of that age. Um, really well-loved. It's really... It's, it's, it's weird. It's like... It reminds me of, like, a Star Trek holodeck episode. It's just kind of its own little separate world that exists on its own. And then, you know, as soon as you get past it, people just kind of ignore it as non-canonical. Um, mm. But it's good. I, uh, I'm getting a little further into it. I'm really enjoying the... Uh, Really enjoying the kind of just off kilter sense of humor it has, and uh, yeah, it's its own thing, and I'm really enjoying it. Had you played it before, and are you playing the PSP version again? Yeah, 
I'm playing the PSP Exalt uh, port, and I had played it many, many, many times before, and I never once finished it, and I'm not sure if that was kind of like Ultima Underworld, I'd run into bugs, or it, the game is also very puzzly compared to Ultima 7, Black, the Black Gate, um, so I think I might have just got stuck on a puzzle and gave up. Okay. It's um, it's good, though. It's I don't know. I, I know I don't sound super enthusiastic about it, but it's. I think I'm just only like five or ten hours in, and I think it's going to be a long, long, long game. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm surprised at. Yeah, again, this is one of those games no one talks about, but I think it's in some ways superior to the Black Eight, in other ways a little bit weaker. Okay. Hmm. So yeah, I don't know. That's all I've been playing. What about you, Brian? All right, well, I haven't had too much time to play games this week because of my conference, but um, I, uh, well, I've been playing a little bit more Lord of the Rings online because, for the best of possible reasons, it's my homework for this <laughs> online class that I'm taking. Oh, yeah. It's kind of, it seems like a bit of an unreasonable milestone because I have to get to, the assignment is to com- to contrast the novel, the movie, and the game at this one certain point of the story, which is oh. uh, something called Weathertop. This is oh, where when Frodo they get gets, to Weathertop, yeah. the big yeah, yeah. Yeah, this on is Weathertop. where Frodo gets stabbed by the Nazgul, the Ring Wraith, yes. um, in the Fellowship of the Ring, about halfway through the the first book. So, right. in, to do this in the game, you have to be, I think, about level twenty five or so, which is a good like, I don't know, it must be about twenty hours or so into the game, <laughs> which is wow, doesn't seem all that reasonable for the sort of person that would take like an English course online, but. Uh, the cool thing is the people that have stuck it out this long, they're gamers and they're English nerds, and I have so much in common with them. I'm meeting such awesome people. So <laughs> that's amazing. That's, it's been really nice. So I'm almost there. I, I, I watched with my wife all three of the movies uh, last week, and uh, I Crazy. just read last night the uh, parts of the book that I was supposed to get to that describes that. And so now I have like another three levels to grind and a few more primary Remind, quests. Is, is Weathertop before or after Frodo gets hauled into that uh, kind of crypt underground. It's after that. Uh, it's after that, okay. Is, it's right after the Prancing Pony Inn where the Nazgul... Oh. Uh, they, that's where they meet Strider and then the Nazgul right. attack and Strider defends them and then they leave town and uh, are on the way to Rivendell. So halfway gotcha. through they go to Weathertop which is this like uh, mountain peak that like this uh, decrepit, destroyed old uh, watchtower. Right, and there was yes, this like camp right. out there but they didn't really want to but they had to kind of a thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's interesting that, seeing the contrast between the three different media for the same story. I'll have a good essay to write about this. Hmm. Yeah, I was gonna kind of wondering. So, what do they ask you to do? Do you you write an essay and it's marked by grad student or something? It's marked by peers. There's like forty something oh. hundred attend like uh, people oh who are registered God. for the course. So it, they say you submit your thing, and then in the next week you have to peer review three other assignments. Um, which is great. Wow. That's a lot of fun. I've I've really enjoyed reading other people's essays and stuff. Awesome. So uh, I'm I'm uh, I have to get that written by tomorrow at midnight or something like that. It's like a two to five hundred word essay. It's nothing. Um, oh, that's, so, that's that's cool. Yeah. So I just have to contrast the story, uh, the story uh, as it's told in the book, the movie, and the game, and I have to show a screenshot of myself participating in this uh, uh, group <laughs> instance or something that corresponds to the Weathertop Pixar uh, didn't have it. Or something. <laughs> And it's interesting because in the book there's no real there's no combat at all, but in the yeah, exactly. movie in the movie it's this like grand battle between Strider and the these ghosty ring wraiths, and so I'll be interested to see what it is in the book or in, in the game. I want to say that in the book doesn't isn't there signs or something that that uh, 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 Mitrandir what's his name um, uh, 
old Aragorn? wizard dude. The oh, wizard um, uh, Gandalf. Gandalf, yeah, Gandalf. Wasn't there signs that Gandalf had this epic struggle at Weathertop that there was like, you know, there's like burned trees or lightning or something? I can't remember. It's been a while since I read them. And yeah, you're they, pretty close. They they suspect uh, Strider suspects that some runes that he finds something that looks like oh, runes that's might right. be like a, runes. a G. Yeah, it's like this whole yeah, it's kind of like scorch. oh, he's been here. We're on the right track, and yeah, they suspect that he he had been there, but either uh, there was the a battle or he had to leave G. in a hurry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, I, you know what? Oh, yeah. I have a huge recommendation for for you and for anybody else who um, the best thing there is next to reading the books for um, Lord of the Rings. Is an audio book. It's forty nine discs. Which is, <laughs> oh my gosh! It's totally insane. Um, it is read by uh, Rob. Oh shoot! Um, oh, I can't remember the name. Gilbert Gottfried. Of the... Sorry. By Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> yes, it's the wouldn't Gilbert that, Gottfried edition great? of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Frodo takes the ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, <laughs> It's 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 um the uh, basically it's the Lord of the Bring, Rings unabridged audiobook. Uh, it's the only one of its kind. I think it's published by oh geez, I can't remember. It's just this big red case, and I know you can get it as like a downloadable audio thing. But honestly, just go on Usenet and download the MP3s. Jeez. Um, yeah, does does that like come in a huge uh, drum that they sell by the volume <laughs> as well? <laughs> yeah, it is in this massive case that weighs about six pounds on its own, and it's just discs. Oh, and they're like, and you realize like. That many CDs weighs a lot. Um, uh, but I listened to the whole thing on a cross-Canada trip about 10 years ago from beginning to end, and it's just amazing. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I swallowed, oh. I breathed in <laughs> a uh, flower petal about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> and oh. my, my lungs are attempting to digest a flower petal, and it's going to take a while. Oh. Yikes! Yeah, that's the perils of stopping to smell the roses. I guess you, you might <laughs> yeah. inhale. You might inhale one of them. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. But oh. yes, so, the um, he, he's a Shakespearean actor, and he does every single character, every single voice, every single part of that book, from beginning hmm. to end. And it's like the best thing on earth to listen to while you're on at work or next to UMB podcast, of course, uh, while you're on your commute. <laughs> and uh, it's just incredible. The guy has such a good. Uh, he just has such a good command of the material, and you realize he's went through all of the all of the poetry and all of the songs, and he's given them like pace, rhythm, and stuff like that. So I'm like, oh shit, that's how that song is supposed to be sung. That kind oh, of thing. Oh, that's nice. That's really nice. Yeah, as a musician myself, I I love that because he uses a lot of non-standard kind of verse exactly. structures, mm-hmm. and so I'm a few verses in before I kind of realize the pace that I'm supposed to be reading it at. So that's yeah. a really nice bit of forethought to put into a voice actor. Yeah. So the one on oh, Audible is narrated by Rob Inglis. I don't know if that's the guy. That's the one, Rob Inglis. Okay, yeah. yeah. So you can, if you have an Audible account. Oh, it's on Audible. Yeah. It must be like a hundred dollars that thing. It's uh, <laughs> if you're if you're not a member, it's thirty eight dollars. If you are a member, it's twenty six or one credit. Wow. So. That's one credit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's like fifteen bucks. Yeah. So it's that's fine. A, I mean, I, I'm. Deal. Yeah, I've had it. I, I actually, I just recently listened. So I'm glad that this is the uh, the one that you're talking about. Because yeah, I just oh, recently nice. listened to Fellowship, and uh, I'm gonna kind of roll on to uh, Two Towers. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it is well it's done, different. and I, and I get what you're saying about the uh, about the songs and the poems and everything. He uh, he definitely yeah, gives he, it a bit more life. Yeah. Exactly. Because really nice. honestly, when I was a kid, I would just skip past the poems. I'm like. 
16 pages of, of Aragorn lamenting the death of somebody <laughs> a thousand years earlier. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm like eating up every word of that. I love that stuff. I'm reading oh, it really great. slowly, probably more slowly than I should be, but I, I'm loving this book. I, oh, read, I started it and gave up on this book many years ago, and now I have the patience oh. for it. It's very rewarding. Well, Brian, you just inspired me. I'm gonna, this weekend, I'm going to go track down my big, fat volume of the... Lord of the Rings and uh, start reading again because I used to read it every single year since I was 15 years old and oh, it's, wow. I missed it this year and I think I'm just going to get back at it. <laughs> well, the last thing I'll say about Lord of the Rings Online then, now that we've spoken about all of these like epic occurrences in the game, um, <laughs> I just the last quest that I did in Lord of the Rings Online is titled Fluffing the Pillows. <laughs> uh-huh. So that's, that's about the gravity of the, the bulk of the quests that you do in that game. I had to kill birds and collect, I had to collect like 45 bird feathers so that they could, this inn could stuff their pillows again. Ah, uh, the fetch quest. <laughs> the fetch quest. This is a very grindy, fetchy kind of a game with an unfortunately small uh, variety of uh, monsters that you kill. So there's a lot uh, of wolves and a lot of bears. and. So it's like it's, the uh, starting area of every single World of Warcraft expansion. It is. And I mean, I'm pretty much in the starting area. The, the yeah, starting right. area of World of Warcraft, I would call, like, up to level 20. And I think I'm level 22 now, but I okay. don't see... I'm fighting some goblins and some orcs now, but there's still no shortage of spiders and and wolves and stuff like that. So but we're still having a good time with it, I guess, especially since I'm playing with these other people in this uh, guild that's related to the course. Oh, wonderful. But, uh, I don't know whether I'll stick with it after the course. We'll see. So, um, very briefly, the other games that I played uh, in my limited time this week, one is called Jazz Punk, which was recommended oh, to me by Anatoly and by Ben Chandler. Yeah. It's, it's so... Have you guys heard of this game? Oh, yeah. I played it uh, quite a bit a couple uh, year and a half ago. Oh, you played it. So, this is like a linear story, like interactive story kind of a game. It's very weird. It's very <laughs> funny. It's very, like... Yeah. It's really absurd. Uh, what was the other game that I played? 30 Flights of Loving is kind of similar okay. to this one. Um, where it's just like an interactive story. It probably lasts, I don't know, two or three hours or so, and you have these That's little right. menial kind of tasks that you have to do, and it just kind of exposes you to all of these, like, uh, I don't know, like pop culture references and silly, silly <laughs> things that are way out of context and extremely ridiculous. And it's very genuinely funny. It's really beautiful and flashy and very, like, visually stimulating. Really fun little game. And it's just so, so, so funny. So yeah. I, I highly recommend this one. Oh, definitely. Um, and it's it's one of those games where, you know, it's not like go rush out and buy this to me. It's one of those, if you get gifted, on, if you get gifted it, you know, during a Steam sale or something like that, just... Just play it in the latter half off. Do play it, yeah. Cool. It, it's very, very funny. But I seem to remember it being more expensive than I thought it was worth. I think it's 20 bucks or something. That's right. It's probably worth five or so. But uh, get it if you can. Um, and then finally, I've been playing this dumb, very simple uh, smartphone game. It's called Mola Mola. Oh. <laughs> it's a game. It's like a virtual pet kind of a game where you just feed this fish and it gets bigger and bigger. Right, um, right. And... Um, it's like a very fragile kind of a fish that uh, whose species like is prone to dying on a whim, and so okay. anything that you do will probably kill you. And every time you get <laughs> killed by that thing, then you become a little more immune to it, and the food that you eat makes you a little bit bigger. Oh. Piece of food. Um, I think this game can be summed up best by one of the comments that I read about it in the feedback section of the Google App Store. They said, "If this game, this game couldn't be more Japanese if it bombed Pearl Harbor." <laughs> <laughs> It's really adorable, this game. It's very cartoony and silly. It has terrible English. It's really, really cute. It's a free little thing. Same story. You can, like, pay a little increment of money if you want to skip something. 
But okay. it's just a fun little virtual pet thing. Uh, evolution virtual pet thing. Yeah, lots of fun, whatever. Stupid game. Just that to sounds mention. great. It actually reminds me a little bit of... Do you guys remember this? Back when PopCap used to be important. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they, they had a Flash game called Insane Aquarium. Do you guys remember that game? By any yes. Yeah, yeah, I do that game, Oh, that game really, really hurt my finger. <laughs> I know. It was so addictive. and I tr- I, I, It was one of those few Flash games that I got massively addicted to. Mm-hmm. Well, the uh, sad thing about that game is that number one, it was one of the most profitable games for the company. That's right. Um, made by a guy named George Fan, who went on to make uh, Plants vs. Zombies. Oh, really? Um, which was basically single-handedly responsible for EA purchasing PopCap for one and a quarter billion dollars. Oh my and then god! They laid off George Fan. That's unbelievable. Guy, isn't that gross? That is really Welcome disgusting. To EA. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to EA. No kidding. So. Uh, the good news is, anyway, while he was in that brief period when he was working for EA, George Fan did a GDC presentation. It's on the GDC vault now. I don't remember what it's called. I'll put it in the show notes. It's about how he designed that game to basically be a tutorial from beginning to end. Oh. You're always learning something a little bit new in these little drips of insights. That's great. And it's such a good philosophy of making tutorials. He's a great speaker. He's funny and nice and like describes complicated things in very easy ways. I have oh, a great I time watching this. this video. Yeah, I will put oh, it in my cool. show notes now. George Fan uh, describing the tutorial of uh, of Plants vs. Zombies. Oh, great. Yeah, you've mentioned that game several times, and I still have never played it. It's one of the... Didn't you say it was one of the last games to use uh, an S3M or mod soundtrack? Oh, I don't... Yes. Yes, it is. It is a recent one. Good memory oh, to use yeah. a, a mod soundtrack. I didn't That's know right. That. And it's like, uh, yeah, and it has dynamic elements where when uh, things right. get more exciting, then it kind of fades in the drums and stuff like that in different increments, depending on how crazy it is. Um, that's a great soundtrack by Laura Shigihara. I love that oh, soundtrack. Yes, and I that's listen right. to that all the time. She's really good. Yeah, so, oh, that's a good game. It's like a tower defense style, style game. Awesome. Really good one. It's like a tower defense game for people that don't like tower defense games. Pretty That's much. what I like to, to say. It's very silly and very cute. Oh, great. I think my favorite weapon is probably the a corn launcher, <laughs> yeah. where it shoots little kernels of corn that bounce on the zombies' heads, and every now and then it will shoot a pat of butter, and the butter lands on the <laughs> zombie's head, and it stands there for a second as like a crowd control thing. So cute. <laughs> <laughs> All the all your weapons are plants. It's very yeah, it's it's great. I played uh, it for a while. I actually should go back. I haven't played it forever. It's great. It's just um it's made in Flash, so even if you have a fast computer oh, really? it's really crappy on PC. Mm-hmm. It's like that. even if even if you have a fast computer it'll still run slow. Yeah, I think <laughs> the best version is probably for mobile because it they redid the engine and it oh, okay. smooth. Nice. All right, we've talked for a long time. I would want to make sure that we have plenty of time to talk about our uh, main topic, which is Please. Star Wars games. Oh, and, so uh, exciting. We probably couldn't have a, a more qualified or knowledgeable guest to help us uh, put these in context of the lore and stuff like that, because I understand, Joe, that you're a big fan of the novels and of the other sorts of uh, bits of the, the fiction. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess what, what a lot of people that may listen to UMB and to this show don't know is I actually have two podcasts. And so this is kind of the intersection mm. of those two podcasts. So I, mm. I do UMB about DOS gaming, and then I do another one with two of my friends called Star Wars Stacks, where we talk about ostensibly it's a Star Wars book club show, but every other episode yeah. we talk about a book and then kind of the interstitial episodes we talk about, you know, news, especially about the new movies and and you know right. miscellaneous things and sometimes we don't talk about Star Wars and <laughs> you guys mostly focus on the expanded universe, right? 
Yeah, especially for the books, though, though of of late, because uh, ever since the Disney acquisition, the the Star Wars expanded universe has kind of been. Oh, uh, right, it's been rendered uh, null and obsolete. Yes, it's referred to, it's referred to as legends now, so it's no longer in in the canon in whatever modicum of canon it was in before, and so now all the new books that are coming out are uh, are officially in the new canon. So we so oh, yeah wow. so on that show we kind of cover the old EU stuff which hey you know what I still love I read it for you know past twenty years and and it's it's not going away you can still buy stuff and you can still read them no one no one's like I like to tell people that got upset at the time no one's going to come into your house and set your bookshelf on fire they're still there mm-hmm. sure. yeah. that's just a that's a really big retcon it is it's the biggest retcon. yeah that's huge <laughs> well it's like really it weird great. because I, I I find it really bizarre because. I remember every time um, Dungeons and Dragons would publish a new edition, they would render all of the stuff you know obsolete prior to, right? Mm-hmm. That's um, true. And and everyone would have a big spaz about it. But I I've always told people I'm like you know you can still even though D and D fifth or sixth edition exists, you can still go back back and play second edition. No one's gonna <laughs> yeah no one's gonna barge into your house and say upgrade. <laughs> Give me your right, you Dungeon Master the- Guide now. <laughs> Yeah, you just have to go to the bookstore and spend another three hundred dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I, oh, I'm so glad. I, I get really excited every time you talk about the expanded universe because um, I, I have very little experience with it, except for uh, one book which I read. Oh, I want to say ten or fifteen times. Everyone would probably think of it now as a really shitty book, but when I was sixteen years old, this was like so important to me. Um, I read. Um, Oh shit! Um, I wrote it down here, and I'm trying to remember because it's just just real blank. Um, blah, 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 blah. It had uh, oh my god! Um, why can't I remember this right now? For some reason, my head keeps saying "Mysteries of the Sith," and that's completely unrelated to this. Um, oh no! This is terrible that it, I blanked the one time I need it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> shit! I'll come back. It'll come back to me. But I'm sure I, in a second it'll pop into your head when we're talking about something else. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Oh, this is so sad. Um, it introduced this this character. Okay, who is Dash Rendar from? Dash Rendar was from Shadows of the Empire. Yes, Shadows of the Empire. Yeah, okay, I right. read. Sh- okay, okay, okay. We'll get to the we'll get to the game later. But my only experience with the expanded universe stuff uh, was Shadows of the Empire, and I was absolutely blown away by it when I was sixteen years old. And honestly, I I I, I it's a good book. It's it's an interesting story. Yeah, I, I thought it was like just I. It, my what happened was I was working way up north. I've mentioned this several times before at an ISP when I was fifteen, sixteen, and I was like, you know, there's I had no friends in town other than my boss. It was like a town of 150 people. It was really, really small, and we just m- manned this ISP outpost basically. <laughs> and um, my mom sent me a care package on the bus, and it took like you know two days to get there. It was in the middle of nowhere. And I opened up this box, and inside there was, like, you know, a bunch of chocolate bars, stuff like that. But she had bought a copy of Shadows of the Empire. I had never read any Star Wars prior to that. I would only saw the movies. And I remember thinking, like, oh, this is going to be kind of lame. And I remember I sat up, and I read it the entire night. And then, like, two days later, I read it again. And I remember reading the book three or four times in the space of, like, two weeks, thinking it was like, why didn't they make this a Star Wars movie? I think it's, like, the greatest story ever. Hmm. And Shadows of the Empire is very interesting because it was kind of an experiment oh. in, uh, in, in, really? in multimedia. So this whole oh. thing... Oh. 
Yeah, so if you read the book, the book gives you one aspect of the story if you play the game. Yeah. So all these things came out kind of in conjunction. So the game gives right. you another aspect of the story. The comics give you yet another point of view oh. of the story. And then there, there was, a, I believe there was, a, there was a soundtrack released as if it were to be made into a movie. And it's not the soundtrack from the game. It's just a... That's a, crazy. And you can find it. I don't know if you can find it online, but there's definitely, probably on YouTube, there's like a... It was released on CD. You could buy that. It was like this whole Whoa. multimedia experiment to see how, how this would work. So, yeah, it's actually interesting. We reviewed it on, on Star Wars Stacks a while back. And uh, oh, to do that, man. I read the book, and I, I didn't want to play the game, but I, I watched some, some, uh, you, some Let's Plays of the game to refresh myself. Right. And, and I read the comics for the first time. And so everything, all of the different aspects of that book are the same oh, story. They're all yeah, they're all the same story from different points of view. The comics are more from uh, what's her name, Guri, the like human replica droid. They're right, more from right. her point of view. The game is more from Dash Rendar's point of view. The book is more like you know Luke Leia with a little bit of Dash. Yeah, exactly. And so they all I kind remember. Of, yeah, yeah, wow. they all kind of build out this story. Oh, that's, that's really idea. crazy. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I, I played that one on N64. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, re I remember specifically seeing the N64 version, and then um, I found out that they had released a Glide version for uh, uh, the PC. Yes. Um, and, and by that point, I had a 3DFX Glide-compatible uh, card. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I think I had a Diamond Monster 3D, I want to say, which was kind of one of those bastard hybrid 2D, 3D uh, accelerated right. ones, because I right. couldn't afford a, a proper... 3D effects, uh, uh, what would you call it? A standalone card? Um, I think it's like a daughter card, sort of, because you, yeah, needed, you needed a 2D card. Yes, yeah. that's right. You had the pass through cable. That's right. Yeah. Mm. And um, I had this, you know, bastard hybrid, which meant that it not only did 3D slow, but it also did 2D slow. <laughs> and uh, but <laughs> but it was cheap. And I remember. Um, yeah, Shadows of the Empire was one of the first glide-based games I got to play on it, and I was really, really impressed. It was the first time, other than uh, this game called Eradicator, that I had ever played a game from the third person, um, where the, you know, you're running around and the camera's mounted kind of yeah, like behind your head about 25 kind of feet. Yeah. 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 And, mm -hmm. and I remember really, really enjoying that game. I never got too far in it. Um, I seem to remember that it had kind of a... Didn't it reuse some of the Star Wars... Uh, soundtrack. It didn't actually have its own unique soundtrack. I can't remember now. Yeah, I think, um, I, think so. I think that sounds about right. Yeah, it had kind of like a like a I don't know what to call it a um, uh, a oh geez why am I blanking on Star Wars stuff all of a sudden? <laughs> it's like the one the one time we need this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the um, yeah, I just remember it had uh, a pretty decent soundtrack, but I remember it did a really good job of unpacking the story. Um, and I remember thinking, being so surprised that it was not starring the same protagonist as in the book, which which at first mm -hmm. I was disappointed about, but then I realized, I'm like, whoa, no, Dash Rendar is actually a really fantastic character. Mm -hmm. I don't remember him having really... I've, I haven't read the book or anything. I'm only familiar with the game, and I don't remember it having a huge amount of depth, really, in describing anything, just no, the visual presentation. E exactly, and I think it was more maybe useful for me because I had read the book like a year or two earlier. I can't remember how earlier, um, but, sure. I had, but I had read the book quite a bit earlier, so I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I recognize this location. I recognize that character. Oh, this is really fun. So maybe yeah, that was maybe kind my of the, imagination that was kind of the intention. The yeah, that was yeah. the intention. Oh, it was kind funny. of that, uh, yeah, the book was sort of like the, 
the main kind of source of of the storyline and then all the other gotcha. stuff would kind of like if you read the book because like really the comics especially if you didn't read the book the comics were just like these weird stories that didn't make a ton of sense but having read the book you're like oh okay well when you know this person went off and did this this is what they did and uh oh, that's and it's so kind cool. of the same for the game because that in the book dash rendar doesn't he shows up but he does he doesn't yeah, have that's right a huge, he goes away for a long time and then he comes back and this and that, but uh, like his basically his job was to kind of shepherd Luke around. Leia kind of hired him to keep an eye on Luke. Right, right. Oh, geez, it's been like fifteen or twenty years since I read it. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Actually, my memory of the game was that I didn't actually have an N sixty four, but one summer, one of my friends who also didn't actually own an N sixty four somehow got his hands on one, and then he ended up giving it back at some point to whoever he took it from. But he got an N sixty four, and he got Shadows of the Empire, and for one summer, we would basically bike from you know one house to another of all of our friends and uh he would have the n64 in his backpack and we would basically go to everyone's house and we would plug in the n64 to whichever tv was available and we would play for you know until we until someone had to leave or we got you know someone's parents had to go somewhere and we had to go or whatever and that's kind of like so yeah it was really this kind of it's a single player (laughs) game but it was like this community kind of experience that we had you like Star Wars hobos. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, <laughs> we just cool. need a TV, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, do you guys would you guys reflect the sentiment that the best part of Shadows of the Empire game was the very first sequence where you're flying around in the ship? Was it an A Wing or just a small little uh Yeah, I think it was an A Wing, wasn't it? Or it sure certainly looked like a one. Little shuttle? It must have been because that's not that's not Dash Rendar's ship yet right at the beginning, right? Yeah. Oh, I, isn't it? I thought you were the same guy throughout the game. I can't remember. Is it? Because if it's the beginning, then it's, if it's his ship. I can't remember the first sequences of the game, but if you're in his ship, it kind of looks like a, a weird version of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking about here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, that's the, Falcon. yeah, that's the... But I also Dash. have a weird memory of flying an A-Wing, too, which is really weird. No, you probably do at some point. I'm just trying... I, I have My memory of the game is, is vague at this point. Uh, oh, sure. Well, the very uh, beginning of it, it's like the tailing third-person view of a spaceship, and you're like, you're in uh, the Battle of Hoth, and you're... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no, then you're just flying out oh, of snow speeder. Oh, that's right. Snow yeah. speeder, that's what a it t- is. A t- yes. An Incom T-47 snow speeder. Sorry, I know all the stupid Oh, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> Good. Cool. I, um, yeah, that, I, that part was so much yeah, fun. Yeah, the, ba- so, the Battle so, of oh, Hoth... Oh, you can play it first-person, too, actually, and that was fun as Yeah, well. the Battle of Hoth sequences in most Star Wars games are, are pretty fun, and a lot of Star Wars games have Battle of Hoth sequences. <laughs> Yeah, That's yeah, because right. his ship itself was uh, the Outrider. And oh like, yeah, it was That's a Corellian right. freighter. Kind of, it was like a so the the Millennium Falcon is a YT thirteen hundred freighter, right. and this is a YT twenty four hundred. So it's like a newer model of kind of the same oh. line. Oh, that's hmm. interesting. I didn't realize it actually had a a, a related model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Oh, very cool. I uh, I, oh. I actually sp- I have one specific memory because it's it's again been fifteen twenty years since I played it. Um, I had this memory of it was the first time that I saw a camera shot where, okay, after you complete the battle, um, you are cast as Dash Rendar, and it's your first time running around as him. And I remember the camera kind of flies in. It zooms towards his head, kind of spins around, and then assumes the position of being behind him, and then, the boom, the game starts. Um, yeah, I think you're right. You know what I mean? There was like this kind of floating camera th- effect that they pulled off. And I, remember... I loaded uh, I loaded up Doom three uh, a couple of weeks ago, and they do the same thing where it, like oh, really? shows you externally, and then it kind of zooms in, and then you're looking through his eyes after like the camera travels through his cranium. 
yeah. And and I remember thinking it was really slick, and I was like, that's such a, a film cinema, cinematic way of kind of introducing your character is you just say, oh, I get it, I'm the camera, you know? And, uh, yeah, nice mechanism for context. Yeah, exactly, and I thought it was really, really fantastic, and it was the first time I had ever saw that, because this, if I remember correctly, this was in the very, very early days of uh, proper 3D. Yeah. Like, oh, sure. Yeah, well, I want to say the... like 98, 99 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was Nintendo's first 3D uh, uh, console at any rate. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I used to play those those parts in first person. I actually didn't even remember that you could do it in third person. I guess I switched oh. manually to first person Oh, that's time. interesting. Huh. Which was good for everything except for the many, many jumping right. puzzles, yeah, that which makes... is always problematic. <laughs> um, yeah, I just realized I got, I got us started off on the wrong foot. Um, Joe, did you want to introduce the Star Wars game? Uh, to, no, to I mean, this is off. great. I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't care if we go in, in chronological order. I mean, Shadow sure. of the Empire was, was on my list, so that's... that's... Yeah, oh, good, 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 good. Um, yeah, and actually, I, it's I an interesting it one for me because it's one of the few games that I played on a console. At least from oh. right from a Star Wars perspective. Oh, that's interesting. So I was the only person to play the Glide version. Yeah, I wonder whether can you still play Glide games, or was it such a proprietary rendering engine that it's kind of gone? I think you can. Upwards? It's not straightforward. Yeah, didn't Joe, you, didn't get, you like, mention on the on the episode where you talked about um, uh, Interstate seventy six that Glide is like a huge nightmare to get running with DOSBox or something? It's basically because, well, I guess most Glide games would be Windows, so it wouldn't even be... Oh, Windows, right, DOS right, right. Box. So, yeah, the problem I had, especially with Interstate 76, because I, if I have the opportunity, I kind of do try to play the games in the best manner possible, yeah. you know, with the best effects. And so what you can do is you can download these uh, Glide wrapper Oh, oh that's, that's what they were right. called, Glide yeah. wrappers. <laughs> yeah, and they, and, and there's like, there's a whole bunch of them, and Basically, what you have to do is kind of tweak and play and, and try all of them. And eventually, if any of them will work, one of them is going to work. And then you can kind of go further with that. And I think I did. I can't remember if I got it running with Interstate 76 or not. But I, obviously, that game had other issues as well just because of the, yeah. the port. The GOG yeah, version the, doesn't work very yeah, well. Yeah, the CPU timing. Yeah. That, no, that it really doesn't. Sucks. That's right. I had that problem too. Actually, yeah, the funny it's... thing about uh, about that, if I can finally mention it, was mm -hmm. I always wanted to send you a voicemail about this, but I kept forgetting, was that not only does the the the, um, the DOS box version have a problem, that's actually inherent to the entire engine. Um, because at some point, I had upgraded from my 486 to a 133 to a 200 MMX, mm -hmm. and... Actually, the CPU timing issue was already present by the time I think I was running, I think at a 230, a K, uh, I want to say an AMD K6 233. Um, I was already getting the crazy bouncing physics with the cars, and I was running this all on original hardware with no emulation present whatsoever. And wow. the, Interesting. The, the, only, the only solution was I actually re-jumpered my motherboard to drop it down to 133, and the game played fine. Wow, so, that's so, pretty drastic. Yeah, that's hardcore. Yeah, it was a, a hard-coded CPU timing issue, and I don't know what that was about. Which um, is interesting, because that game runs actually runs on the MechWarrior 2 engine. Exactly, oh. and, and it's funny, that issue is not present in MechWarrior 2. Right. You can play Mech, MechWarrior 2 on like a, like a, a modern Pentium that run, that, that's capable of running DOS just fine. 
You know what it might have been? I'm just, this is a stab in the dark, but MechWarrior 2 had relatively slow-moving vehicles, whereas these were cars. True. So maybe they had to do some kind of a streaming uh, trickery so that they could bring in new scenery and at I th- a regular interval. Oh, and I think the other possible. thing, yeah, the other thing that I think was tr- caused trouble specifically in I-76 were, were the, uh, the cutscenes. The cutscenes and, oh, the, uh, yeah. and the scripted events. And MechWarrior 2 didn't have that. <laughs> That's right. Ah, uh, okay. Because everything that's was right, in engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. I forgot the cutscenes would they would appear at the wrong time or they wouldn't trigger at all. Um, I remember there was always this problem where you're supposed to show up at this place called the Wagon Wheel. It's like the Wagon Wheel. There's there the Wagon Wheel's the wagon on wheel. fire. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> and it would never trigger for me. And then fucking, the, sorry, swearing here for no reason. Um, my 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 buddy. Um, um, Taurus, I think. I can't remember. Taurus, he, yeah. His car, Taurus would drive off into the sunset in the wrong, you know, in the wrong direction. I'm like, no, 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 Taurus, the mission's over here. And he would disappear <laughs> off of the map. And at some point, I couldn't even, like, radio him. He was so far away. So I just gave up. The game was completely unplayable into the first mission at some point. <laughs> yeah, it was it's too. Awful. And I'm trying to think what I was able to. I think I was able to get it running by taking my old Dell laptop which was like a, which is a core two, which, you know, should be, should wow. still way too fast. And I found one of those like CPU slowdown utilities that oh, basically just like, like most slow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, and I was able to use that and the game became like 70% reliable. So I was able to get through like five missions. That's a new record. Yeah. That's amazing. Holy cow. That's way further than I got. Yeah. Okay, so, so yeah. So speaking Sorry. of Star Wars, <laughs> I have yeah, no so. idea how we got to Interstate seventy six now. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about games, so what's the difference? Yeah, so actually, the one sure, I wanted to not? start with, just because I had an interesting story, and it yeah. is sort of the first one, is uh, is Star Wars Arcade. That's on the top oh, of my list. Oh, nice! Love it like crazy. What an awesome. Yeah, game. like the wire That's an amazing frame. game. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, the wireframe polygons yeah. is such a unique aesthetic. And I was, I, I oh. mean, I was quite, I was quite young when when it came out. So I, I'm not even sure mm-hmm. I ever actually played it myself. But I always remember. I remember it was very, very expensive, like fifty cents in the arcade. Mm-hmm. I think so because of the fancy sit down cabinet. Exactly. I was a kid too, but I definitely played it. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, so I guess this game kind of like it, it, it simulated the attack on the Death Star from from the yes. end of A New Hope, That's and right. it was like in three stages, I think. It was, yeah, the yeah. space battle, the trenches. It was like the space battle, uh, was then, there another then one? like the surface. Oh, the we surface. Had to destroy and the towers the and then the trench, yeah. And, uh, and, and the story I have about this game was, again, because I, I don't think I ever actually played it myself, but I always watched it, is, and it's interesting, we're at the beginning of the show we were talking about you know, weird dreams. I, I have this very vivid memory of, of being very young and having this very vivid dream where, and it's probably not what you think it is, where I was at, <laughs> where I was at, Star, I was Star at Wars arcade. arcade wet dream. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was at the arcade, and somehow I had a dream, basically, where the characters from Star Wars somehow got transported into our world, that and the only thing, and, and they were hanging out with me. So I was with like I think Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, and they were like walking <laughs> oh around God. with me. And the only thing I could think of doing with them was bringing them to the arcade and showing them this game because I thought they would be very impressed by it. 
<laughs> oh my god, I love it. It was the weirdest thing. I love it too. It was the weirdest <laughs> dream, and it was the only thing I got to show him this game, and I showed it to him like, oh yeah, that's cool, and whatever. And I thought, and you know, like it was like this very high tech thing, and they would be impressed, even though they like flew around in starships and shot lasers and stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, it was a long time ago. Indeed. So, yeah, it's like, well, what's this? A computer. <laughs> so, so were they impressed or were they kind of like... Yeah, if I remember, I think, no, I think they were impressed. And I think uh, I think Luke got in and, and, and finished the game because obviously, you know, you're, you're him. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And, uh, that's adorable. But the thing about this, the other thing that, that I was looking at is going through kind of the three different phases of the game, uh, I, I realized... And I don't even think I, I thought of this at the time I covered X-Wing, but I think this this three-act structure of the attack on the Death Star was actually reflected in the last few missions of X-Wing. Oh, oh really? really? I never I made it far enough ever, into X-Wing I, I never know. got to finish it. Yeah, so the last the, the last missions of Tour 3 in X-Wing, which uh, like is, we will talk about X-Wing in detail, but... Oh, but yeah. uh, the last few missions of that are kind of the the assault on the Death Star. And what you do is first, yeah, you have to clear out the ties that are, you know, defending the Death Star. Right. And then there is kind of a surface mission where, you know, you have to you have to take out ter- towers and then there's the trench run. And wow. so like, I'm pretty that's, sure. That's a pretty strong finish. Yeah. yeah, and it was hard. I mean, the trench run in X-Wing was very hard. But it's, it's interesting that the, the two structures are mirrored because there wasn't really... These things didn't really happen in the movie. They did to an extent. Like I said, oh, I'll take care yeah. of the towers. But it was kind of just mentioned in passing. And then Luke went in for the trench run. But they created this this three-layered structure oh. that was reflected in two different games. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would love to know what the story is behind that over at... Uh, these were not Lucasfilm games, if I remember correctly. The, the, sorry, the arcade one. Wasn't that an Atari game? I think... I want to say... Oh, I don't even know. It wasn't Lucasfilm. Yeah, it wasn't Lucasfilm Games, I'm 99% sure. Yeah, mm. that's what I thought, Yeah, too. it was Atari. It was... Developed and published by Atari, according to Wikipedia. Yeah, and oh. I remember um, that there was some licensing, weird licensing stuff going on. Oh, I wish I knew the story uh, between Atari and uh, Lucasfilm at that point, but there were some licensing issues about what they were allowed and not allowed to use for this game. And um, and I think it was this, you know, kind of the same old story that they always had over at... Um, over at Lucasfilm Games, which is you're not, you know, you're basically not allowed to touch Star Wars. Uh, no Star Wars games. <laughs> no Star Wars games, mm. and and Atari got access to very specific things that they were allowed to use, and I wonder if that had some amount of influence on what they were allowed to depict in in this uh, crazy game. Um, well, maybe because now that you mention it, the one thing that always stood out to me as being peculiar in that game was that when you're fighting the Tie Fighters, they shoot these like big asterisk-looking torpedo things that you <laughs> oh, yeah, can shoot with your right. lasers and stop them from coming at you anymore. And there's nothing like that in the movies. I don't know if the books or anything tackle something oh, like there's that. Nothing really I actually, like that. I, yeah, it's actually interesting. I think there was some technical limitations that they faced too. The one thing I, one of the random things I happen to know about this game is. Um, are you guys familiar with vector monitors, out of curiosity? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, vector, it, this game is actually completely reliant, so it's not just the fact that it's painted in these really, really cool um, um, polygons. The reason why it's all poly- polygonal or polygonal is because it's actually using a vector monitor, so as opposed to a regular uh, rasterized CRT that can display bitmap graphics, this actually uses the... Um, the light gun inside of the CRT to paint each shape individually. 
Uh, right, I remember it being a hard one to emulate and MAME for whatever reason. That's right, exactly, because it's it's actually just pushing around the the CRT light gun to paint the screen. And uh, mm. does it really, really fast, right? But it also, because of that, there's no, I don't know how, how to say this, any time this will ever be emulated on an, a rasterized CRT or uh, LCD monitor, it'll look like shit. Um, right. And yeah, it's like dark and yeah, refresh rate. And, it's yeah. really bright. Like your eyes will be bleeding after playing this game for 15 minutes because <laughs> when, it's, when you push that light gun around, it's just like etching a laser beam on your eyeballs. So, at, uh, is that it? Oh my god, it is so bright. Like when you're playing the game, like the whole the, the, the star field behind you is all black. But you're getting like these crazy psychedelic bright shapes launched at your eyes. And I remember specifically, the game has these huge speakers. Um, and it's like basically shakes you in your seat from it being so frigging loud in the arcade. <laughs> and I remember playing just once, I think for 50 cents. And I remember my eyes hurt, like after like 45 seconds, because the game was <laughs> unbelievably hard. My eyes were mm-hmm. like practically bleeding from the vectors um, on this. Oh yeah, and it was the other thing. It was a 25-inch monitor, which I never saw in an arcade game before. I think that's like 1983 or 84. It's a huge, huge monitor. And that's why I always remember the game being very noticeable because it was so bright and because the monitor was so big. Because I remember, I think it did have like uh, sit-down and stand-up versions. Yes, that's it right. It also had uh, digital speech, which is very rare for 1984. Oh, like right. Yeah, yeah. It had like samples of like Mark Hamill and Obi Wan. Oh and... shit, that's right. I so forgot. That, yeah, so that's something else that they worked out in the licensing, obviously, because they are clearly like the actual. Actors. Yeah, yeah. It's actual sample, oh. like voice samples from the the movie. That's if crazy. I completely forgot. I, I would. I probably just paid the fifty cents to see hear the voice samples. And apparently, I don't, I don't know what this means, but it, in Wikipedia here, it's, it says that the game can be converted into Empire Strikes Back via conversion kit. Now, I'm not sure what that changes. Oh, oh that's interesting. I, I never played the Empire Strikes Back, but that says to me then me that if there's a conversion kit, it probably just swaps out the, the PCD, the, uh, the, the motherboards on it. Mm. And so I, I never even knew that there was a sequel to it, but I'm guessing oh, Empire Strikes you, Back. Yeah, you shoot, you shoot walkers. Oh no way! That sounds amazing. Are you also are you also on a speeder bike? I th- something like that. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm just looking. This is the first I actually hear of it. So that's I'm, crazy. I'm, Out of curiosity, I have this like shadow of a memory in my mind. Maybe remind I me. It. I don't know. Um, when you're flying around in the, the original game, do you see your own cockpit? Like I thought, I have a memory. You see of like the nose very... of your ship and the tips of yeah. your laser cannons. Yeah, you the know? X-wing. Cannons. That's the first time I'd ever saw that in the game, to be honest. They were always, prior to that, they were always um, first-person kind of shots, and you'd just basically be looking out your front window. Um, oh, yeah, it gave you a real sense of presence. Yeah, it was, it was oh, really totally. cool. Like, it was a pretty groundbreaking Beautiful. game for the time. Yeah, like the next Very time I remember so. seeing that was like in Wing Commander, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. And Well, even Wing Commander doesn't necessarily do that. I think it was the later ones, the 3D ones, that might have done that. But in, yeah, in Wing Commander, you saw your uh, cockpit, but not really any extension of your ship reaching. Oh out yeah, that's true. Yeah, you'd only see. Yeah, that's right. You'd only see your like uh, little plasteel windows and stuff. Yeah, like it's that. just like kind of a yeah. bitmap of your cockpit. Whereas this is like right. Yeah. Holy yeah, it's crap. impeccably designed. This arcade game, very Man. very smart engineering. I would. I wish. I wish. I, I, wish I, I hadn't even thought of the game until you guys mentioned it. I wish I had done my research because I've never gotten to work on one of these before, and I know that it's like famously impossible to fix them once they break because they use basically um, proprietary parts for almost everything in it. Um, it's a really, really complex game. It. That's cool. Well, I have very fond memories playing this as a kid. I would play it all the time. 
because oh, I loved it so much. Awesome. And it was ported to like a million different platforms. There's apparently a DOS version. It's not that good. I, I oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I there, don't know if any of the ports... Wasn't did it there just, like an Atari even, like, 2600 version of it too? I think so. I mean, here. I think so. Amiga, Atari ST, Amstrad, CPC, ZX Spectrum, BBC Micro. Micro. Yeah, I mean, there's tons of versions. They're, oh, they're, wow. I, I mean, a lot That's of them crazy. are monochrome, and, you know, they're just, like, kind of crappily drawn. So it's not, yeah. not... They're not as good, obviously. I saw I saw a video a little while ago comparing all the different versions of oh, the ports of the wow. game. I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, that, I would love to know the differences. Yeah, they're pretty staggering. Big differences. Wow. Nothing came close to the arcade. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. It was all... And that's the thing. Like, we, we always forget that arcades, not all of them, but many of them were dedicated hardware. Like, you would actually build... The entire, the entire cabinet, the control scheme. There were no off-the-shelf parts. You were actually building them specifically for that one experience. So I can tell anybody who has never had the chance to sit down in this thing into the cockpit model um, that you feel like you're in a frigging X-wing. <laughs> it was like short, mm-hmm. short of actually totally. having the wings, you know, locking in S foils in attack position. It was like, mm-hmm. yep, I'm sitting down inside of an X-Wing. This is pretty crazy. And there's flashing. I, I believe there's, like, flashing buttons, too. Um, to, um, I can't remember. I, I remember I there's, remember. like, LED buttons or backlit buttons for almost all of the things on your, uh, on your uh, control column. So mm. Well, what I do remember is it had this, like, two-handed steering wheel joystick thing, yep. and you had to, like, turn it up and down with your wrists, sort of, to yeah. aim up and down. <laughs> it was like the up is down, down is up flight simulator kind of exactly. controls, but it was just a rails shooter. Yeah, at, yeah, at, it at was a rails shooter. Yeah, I guess I should have mentioned that earlier. It yeah. was like the pro- the proto-rebel assault. It, yeah, to, by all means, absolutely. <laughs> this We will not rag on Rebel Assault on this podcast. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think any of us would, would do it if this, honestly. I love that we're love like that the game. only three people in all... If we put together all of the podcasts, all of the listeners, we're the only three people that happen to like Rebel Assault. I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's uh, right. And we will, we will mention to our listeners to absolutely check out uh, the Upper Memory Block uh, episode on... Rebel Assaults, because that was a great oh. one, especially learning learning about the technology. Oh, that one was fun, the, to, fun to research, for sure. Oh, yeah. I, that, I wanted to call like, that, that episode. I was so excited when I finally heard it last year. That, like, that's like the, the Rebel Assault Apologist podcast. <laughs> I, I, I just thought it was yeah. so awesome, because you like, brought up the stuff that no one talks about, like how, how the guy came up with a streaming method to pull the data off of a single-speed CD-ROM fast enough. Well, that's like, that's, crazy. Like, that's huge. No, exactly, and it's like you know, I'm fine. The game is frustrating. I, I'll admit. I mean, go watch my yeah, sure. my, my YouTube video, and I think I said like I have I, I was experiencing extreme anxiety, and my hands hurt, and <laughs> <laughs> and whatever. But it, it really was a groundbreaking game for the time. It really was very important because it, it was one of these first games to stream, you know, video on demand. You know, just and it was just it's it's great. Yeah, and give you give, give oh, you branching sure. video points and caching that data ahead of time before you hit the branch. Like, well, I don't and know, superimposing uh, sprites and lasers and stuff on top of it, but it all looked yeah. fairly cohesive. Mm-hmm. Like it was synchronized. Like the video would change your perspective, and you turn corners and stuff, and the sprites on screen would respond to that exactly. in real time. So and it I think was it was very like convincing. only surpassed by one game, and that was uh, Sewer Shark for the Sega CD. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's the same sort of game, but I never played that. One. <laughs> Sorry, never that's, played that's, that a, one. that's a really bad joke. I I, I love how quiet oh, it got. It's, it's like, like mm. no, I didn't. I didn't own a Sega CD. Sorry. <laughs> I guess I'm the only person on earth who actually owned one of those horrible inventions. 
Well, there are other ones too. I think Microcosm was that the name of there was a yeah similar rail shooter. Microcosm. There are a few like that. Siberia. And then there was a whole yeah. series of them published by this uh, company called Digital Pictures that had some really oh. really awful games. But I won't bring that. That that's a whole episode on its own. <laughs> FMD games. Ah <laughs> right. mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah. Well. Um, we, we've talked a bunch about Rebel Assault already while we're on the topic. Is there anything left unsaid about this game? I don't think um, so. All, all, I, all I can not. say about it is that at the time, and I said it, I've said it on my show as well, is that at the time I was floored by it. Like it was yeah, the most beautiful too. looking thing I'd ever seen. The demo sold me mm-hmm. on it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know what actually blew me away? Because I, I, I did get to see that demo too. I was actually really impressed by the box. If anybody has the box handy or if you can pull it up online, it has some really well hand-drawn box art that makes, that, that just like, that just like is an utter lie. Like, you, you know, oh, I'm going to get to fly in an X-Wing and it's all first person and, and I love the box art. For, oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, because yeah. you're like, it's, you see the cockpit and it's like, it actually exactly. kind of reminds me of like the Atari box art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, I know. Exactly. Like it would it's like this utter lie that I'm gonna be Luke Skywalker himself and then you get in the game, I'm like, wait, it's third person? It's like, what's and um but well, a lot of it was first person. Yeah, there's a lot of first About person spots. Spot yeah. Um but I really, really love the um box art. It's so colorful and it's so surprising. And for the collectors out there, it actually has um it uses one of my favorite boxes and I don't know how to describe it. It's like a double thickness uh, LucasArts box. I remember it being very, very cardboard. sturdy feeling, yeah. Yeah, it's sturdy, and it's it's a bunch of cardboard all folded in over itself. And it's like a little origami puzzle if you rip apart the cardboard. And Sam and Max Hit the Road had the same box, Day of the Tentacle, same box. Um, and they mm. all kind of came out of uh, Indiana Jones, Fane of Atlantis, same box. Um, it just it just feels good. The second you put your hands on it, it's like, ah, oh, that's, that's a good LucasArts oh. box. It's kind of just like the old Sierra boxes. They just feel really good in your hands. Mm-hmm. I missed out on these, I guess, because I own most of those games from uh, LucasArts compilations. It was like six oh. discs in one box, right? And so I just kept these little uh, these little paper sleeves, yeah. cardboard sleeves. Did you have the um, what they called the uh, what were they called the LucasArts Volume One and Volume Two? Oh shoot, what were they called? Yeah, masterpieces. Yeah, or, or, or something yeah. like that, or yeah, yeah those, are those are great. Those, those were like the best possible way to get your hands on LucasArts stuff in those days. Yeah, they were. Oh, yeah, because you get a whole bunch of stuff all in one. The thing I did love, though, about, like, getting the actual individually boxed LucasArts games were all the pack-ins and stuff. And, like, yeah. I, I loved the, uh, you'd get, like, the, the Adventurer. Magazine. And you'd get, yeah. yeah and the Adventurer. Was, like, the, yeah. With all the uh, the articles and stuff. And then the whole back of it was, like, the company store. And that's actually where I got my, my Star Wars soundtrack CDs. I actually ordered them oh, from amazing. the LucasArts company store. Yeah, because that was the only source for those, right? Yeah, and there was like the big black uh, four CD, uh, like I can't remember what you call it, but it was a box. Holy and it had four crap! CDs. Really? Yeah, it had four CDs in it, one for each of the original movies, and then the fourth one was like bonus content of like alternate uh, alternate arrangements of things and some unused music, and, it, and there was a a book inside with like stuff from John Williams in there talking about how he came oh, up. With it. it was really wow. really great. Oh, I, you just made me think of something really obscure, and I think you could only get it from the LucasArts store. Um, I got this in this massive load of like a hundred boxed sealed games I got for a hundred bucks a few years ago. Um, I think I mentioned that story on a few episodes ago. This person was getting rid of Freddie Farkas' Frontier Pharmacist, and I'm like, "Whoa, it's Bill Shrinkwrap! Right. Do you have any other games?" 
and the lady came right. out with this massive, massive box of every Sierra and LucasArts adventure ever made, still shrinkwrapped. Um, <laughs> and she's like, well, is, is $100 okay? Yes! Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I think I can handle that. Um, <laughs> um, but it came with, um, and I want to remember what the name of this is. You guys have to fill in the blanks for me. I think it was called LucasArts Screen Entertainment or Star, Star Wars, Wars Screen Star Magic. Wars Screen Entertainment. That is the, that is the last mm-hmm. thing I had on my list if we had time to talk about it, because I had Oh, that. good, 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 yeah. good, because I never got to install it. What, what is it? It's a screensaver. Oh, it's a screensaver. Okay, I wasn't really sure because yeah. it just came bundled together with four floppy disks. I'm like, what the hell is this thing? Yeah, it's a screensaver, and actually I thought it was a very good screensaver as, as screensavers went. Uh, there were a lot of cool cool different options. Like there was one that one of my favorite ones was the, uh, you could have this space battle scene and it was kind of like a space battle from very far away and you could tell it definitely oh. used some resources from like the, uh, the cinematics of X-Wing. So there was like a Mon Cal cruiser and a Star Destroyer, and then there'd be little fighters, but they were basically like little pixels, and they would be flying oh, around and shooting each other, and it was just this space battle that would go on. And then there was another one that was like um, some behind the scene. It was like uh, they'd show like a picture of Obi Wan, and then they'd have a whole bio of Obi Wan, and in there there was oh. even like some cool EU stuff like that you didn't really hear about. Like they talked oh, really? about. Yeah, like, and this is before the prequels. Like, they talked about at the bottom of it, like, oh, you know, he had an epic battle with uh, Anakin, on, and he fell into lava, and Obi Wan. So <laughs> they changed it a bit because what it said there was that Anakin actually fell into the lava, and Obi Wan yeah. pulled him out. Oh, oh, yeah, it doesn't quite happen yeah. that way. And so that's not yeah. how it quite ended up. But yeah, all that stuff was. I always remember that one line because I was like, wow, that's so cool. And then you know, the prequels happened, and it was sort of that way. That's and yeah, crazy. there was all kinds of different stuff. Or th- there was one, <laughs> my other favorite one, and then I'll stop going on about this thing. Was uh, <laughs> there was a Jawa screensaver, and it would basically take a, a screenshot of your desktop, and then a whole bunch of Jawas would come in, and they would steal all your icons. Oh, that's oh, adorable! Was, yeah, this wasn't uh, this wasn't a Berkeley screensaver. I don't was think it? it was. Oh, that's Did After Dark have a Star Wars thing? I thought they might have, or maybe I'm picturing this, this was one. definitely Lucas sure. Lucas Arts. So wow. I don't know if I, they... it sounds like it sounds like after dark quality. That's for sure. Oh, it was a it was yeah. very 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 well done. Wow, they... was there one with uh, droids as well? Yeah, there was one with droids. Okay, so I am picturing this LucasArts one. And actually, the one. box oh, was really like cool. uh, the box was like hexagonal. Oh, really? I that was the one thing that was missing a box in that whole collection I got. So yeah, it, it only a... came with four mm. floppies. Yeah, it was a weirdly yeah. shaped box. Oh, and yeah, I'm crazy. seeing. I, I pulled it up here. Yeah, there's one with blueprints of ships, which was amazing. Oh, wow. and the cantina That's where crazy. they do bios of the cantina aliens, character biographies. Oh, so, so it's all like it was all like Windows 3.1 kind of 640 by 480 stuff. Yeah, I think was it 3.1 or 95? I'm trying to can't remember what year it came out. That's really interesting. Uh, yeah, hey, uh, I, I can't. I can't remember the exact date it was out. It must have been 3.1. Oh, that's crazy. I really regret not installing that now because I, I always just, like, I had no idea if this was, like, an add-on for something or if it's, like, you know, Star Wars Screen Entertainment. I had no idea what, what was actually on there. So it was one of those things where I'm like, ah, I'll put it in the archive. I'll get back to it later someday. That's so cool. And I always remember I, used, I had it and my parents would get annoyed with me because it was one of those, you know, fancy screensavers that actually had sound, which I think is completely <laughs> ridiculous for a screensaver. <laughs> No kidding. But uh, yeah, like the, I would always want yeah, the sound like the, on. <laughs> yeah, Simpsons screensaver. Uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, no, that was a very yeah. cool one, and it's a it's it's a unique one that I don't think a lot of people know about. Oh, mm-hmm. that's great! I um, you mentioned this on a previous UMB cast, but I had to bring it up. Um, did you guys ever play Yoda stories? I never did. No, never. I, I only read. Never. I only read like reviews of it, but I never did. Me too. I oh, heard it wasn't that great. I I honestly think that I'm not sure what the reviews uh, say, but I honestly think it was a very 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 good game for what it was aiming at. Um, for anybody who's not familiar with Yoda stories, it was basically. Um, the developer had already made Indie's Desktop Adventures. Uh, hopefully somebody's played right. that, which is um, a, uh, what would you call it, a um, uh, NetHack-style uh, random uh, Star Wars episode generator. <laughs> and and it, was, it was really basic. It was basically me- meant to be kicked in, kicked on like a Windows 3.1 screensaver, uh, kind of like a time waster when you're at work. And you start the game, and it would just launch you into a random story. And um, I think with Yoda stories, it was Yoda sitting in his little cave and or in his room, and Luke would go up to Yoda, and Yoda would say, Luke, I need you to pick up blank. It is located near blank. And hmm. it, would, it would randomly generate a map, and then you'd wander off uh, with your lightsaber, and I think you also had your, your uh, the little laser gun thing. Um, and you'd go shooting enemies, going map to map to map, um, let's say Zelda style, and you'd collect several of these objects and bring them back to Yoda, and it would take about five to ten minutes, and you could finish it. And it was very, very easy. It was never meant to be difficult. And I don't know why. It was just really, really compelling, even though I knew in my head that this is just basically a Mad Libs version of, uh, of, of Star Wars. It was still really fun. Well, that's a good way to put yeah, it. Actually. I think I think yeah. it would be really cool if now that you know Disney has all their stuff and they seem to be not too opposed to uh, to releasing old LucasArts games that this should come out on mobile. Oh yeah, no kidding! Exactly, that's perfect? a perfect perfect device for it. I wish. Yeah, I uh, I, I remember it being like a single click. I think it was all mouse driven. I can't remember ever using a keyboard. Um, yeah, if I remember, I think I I remembered reading about it. And yeah, it was all all mouse interface, kind of straightforward. I think it was basically like it was a casual game. Like they just didn't yeah call it exactly that, that term didn't really exist. Yeah, Windows three point one game. Wasn't yeah, it? I believe. Yeah, so. it was. Yeah, and I uh, picture it. And it used. And I remember. I'm pretty sure it was coded in Microsoft Visual Basic, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember um, all of the all of the UI elements and stuff like that were all stuff. That came straight out of this. Like, uh, drag it out of the toolbox. Uh, and <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. The square uh, gray buttons. The square gray buttons, buttons, and it had all the same yeah. fonts and stuff. I'm like, wait a minute, I recognize some of you. And uh, yeah, from three dot dll. Oh yeah. Or three dot ocx, I think at the time. Yeah, I think that um, was. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I was just like, and I remember reading an interview with one of the coders at the time. And they said, "I want to say that Indie Desktop Adventures was made in something like three weeks. Um, they, uh, from basically start to pressing these onto floppies was a three-week turnaround time. It was just one of those wow. little throwaway projects internally at LucasArts, and they're like, hey, we should publish this. They're like, okay, <laughs> um, and it was just something that they had made on their spare time to actually have fun with internally." So I could be wrong about that. Somebody please correct me because I think that's that's something I'd read like ten ten years ago at least when I read the interview. So I'd love to know uh, what the real story is between Indies Desktop Adventures and Yoda Stories. Yeah, oh, that's very. You cool. know, it's been a long time since anybody corrected us. Yeah, I know. I I'm, I'm totally getting a little right. concerned. Like this is either Anatoly's given up 
or <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it's like well, I have too many corrections for this episode, or or we're gonna get like a a three hundred minute uh, uh, voicemail someday. You just have to you just have I to have him on again and, and name the episode Errata. <laughs> yes. Yeah, good idea. Just name the podcast thing. Yeah. This, this whole this whole podcast is nothing but errata. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the accuracy uh, isn't the right, important what we... thing. The memories are the important thing. Exactly. 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 I uh, will leave it to you and Anatoly and anybody else to actually have real information. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I get <laughs> I right. get my fair share of uh, of corrections. <laughs> <laughs> but your corrections so are always like, so good. It's like, you know, in episode 3F09, you <laughs> said that memory address 0FF is so devoted to, <laughs> you know, 16-bit yeah. address calls. And actually, that's an 8-bit address call. Just I always get terrified. I always get terrified when, I, do, when I go into, like, really technical detail like that because, yeah, I know I'll get something wrong, but... It's close I, I, lo- I love that amount of detail because I get so excited that you know I'm finally you know getting to understand some of the really crazy uh, bus address calls that I didn't know about when I was a kid, and I, I was actually honestly very curious about. So I, I love that. I'm very gl- thankful for that amount of detail. Cool. Oh yeah. So should we roll on to X-wing? Oh please. Oh yeah. Let's let's do it before if we we can't run out of time and not talk about X-wing. So let's just do it. Exactly. That's true. Well. Can we put it out up front? X-Wing or TIE Fighter? Which is better? Oh. From a, for, for me, from a gameplay and a technology perspective and a story perspective, TIE Fighter is superior. From a memories perspective, X-Wing is more important to me. Oh, I, I always like TIE Fighter best. That's we'll, really we'll funny. I had, I, was, I had the same comment. I'm like, me- my best memories are from X-Wing, but from a gameplay standpoint, it was always uh, TIE Fighter. Hmm. And also, TIE Fighter had the best add-ons, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think so. So for me, X Wing was actually the first game that I ever remember caring about before it came out. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what you. Yeah, mean. like I think so I you were actually thought, like reading reviews and stuff before or previews before it came out. Yeah, like I, I actually again I have a very vivid memory. I think I had gotten a I had convinced my parents to get me a subscription to to probably Computer Gaming World. Yep, and and we got we got whatever issue it was, and I saw it wasn't a review, it wasn't a, a preview, it wasn't anything. It was just an ad for <laughs> for this game, and I freaked out. I'm like, oh my god, we're gonna have to fly Star Wars ships. This is going to be crazy. Oh, those 3D polygon graphics, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, uh, that's what blew yeah. Me away. And so from that time, from that point on, I tried to get as much information as I could, and and I it was the only game, the first game that I I knew what day it was coming out. Because usually oh, nice. these things would just kind of sneak up on me. Like I'd I'd hear, oh, right. uh, there's a new whatever space quest that that came out like last year. Oh, okay, let me play that. Like I was never like ahead of the game on anything except for X Wing. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> and I also remember being horribly disappointed initially, for one oh, really? reason. But the reason was my stupidity. And oh. that was and and it was because I went to I went to buy the game, and it was like seventy dollars, and I bought it at CompuCenter. Which, I hey, I remember that place. I didn't know you guys had it out east. Yeah, me too. I remember. Yeah, we had. I think they we had, had one at, at. They had them in Calgary. Yeah, we had one at Fair, Fairview Fairview Mall in, in Montreal, in the West Island of Montreal, and that's where I bought all my computer games initially. And I went there and I bought the game and I was super excited. And I got home and I installed it and I watched the intro and I was blown away and it was incredible. And I played the first mission, but before I played the first mission, because I'm neurotic and I went and I had to look at all the options. I went and I turned on, I said, oh, invulnerability. Let me turn that on. 
So I turned on invulnerability uh, and I turned on like unlimited uh, torpedoes or whatever. Uh-huh, and right. so I played through the first mission, where, which you don't need to be invulnerable for. But I was like, you know, young, so who knows? And I played through the mission, and I finished it, and I got back to the did the debrief, and I got to the briefing, and the briefing was the first mission again. And I was like, no. this game is broken. Something is wrong. Oh, I'm just, no. And so I did it again, and I did it again, and I went back in, and I turned on vulnerability, and I turned on limited ammo, finished the mission, first mission again. And so I went to my mom, and I'm like, Mom, there's something wrong with this game that we bought. Uh, we have to go back to the store. It's broken. And so we went to the store, and I gave the box. And, the guy, and these people were incredible, I have to admit. So this guy basically took my, my box. He opened it. He installed it on one of the machines that was there, and he played the first mission while we were standing wow. in the store. Yeah. That's service. And, and he played the first mission with notably without turning on invulnerability. Mm. And he finished the mission. <laughs> and, and then mission two. Boom. Done. And I was like, oh, so it turns out, and I hadn't read the manual all the way through, and if I had, I would have known <laughs> that if you turn on invulnerability, you do not actually get to progress to the next mission. I had mm. no idea that was an issue. Yeah, and that was what's... That's a weird design choice. You'd think that they would just kind of do people a favor if they went so far as to put it in the game. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know why they did that. I guess they wanted it to be challenging. They just didn't just want people to blow through it, you know, being invincible. <laughs> did yeah. you, so did you put two and two together at that point, or did you not at that know point, I, At that point, I did, yeah. I think, I think I mentioned it to him. I said, oh, I turned on invulnerability, and he's like, oh, well, try not doing that. Like, I don't know. I don't think he knew. But he's like, oh, well, if that didn't work. And, and wow. that's kind of like become, become my mantra even, you know, in my, in my day job. That's incredible service. Try not doing yeah, that. It's like, well, what did you do differently? Oh, this. Okay, yep. well, don't do that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a good Yeah, lesson. that's my, my that's big memory of, uh, of X-Wing. And then, of course, playing it through. And, and I do remember it being a very challenging game. And I, don't, I, think, I do remember finishing it, but it was very hard to do. Especially those last few oh, I never got close I to never, finishing I never even got close to finishing that game. It was very, very difficult. It was very... But compared to, uh, compared to Wing Commander, which I vastly preferred, um, it was a lot more of a simulator than it was yes. a game. Like, you had to manage your energy levels and your inertia and stuff like that. It was a really great uh, simulation engine. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Wing Commander I, the was... The one thing I really preferred oh, over Wing Commander was managing the uh, shield um, positioning and shield strength. I really, really enjoyed that. With, remind me, it's X-Wing. You can have double forward or double rear or balance shields. Yes, and, and that I thought was interesting because they, they pulled that game mechanic, I'm like 99% sure, from one offhand line in the movie, which was set your deflectors oh. double front. I noticed oh, that too, actually, funny. in retrospect. Yes. Huh. So that's a, that's a great bit of, uh, uh, that's a great bit of uh, lore. Yeah, no kidding. I didn't. I didn't really think about that. I just, yeah, I just kind of assumed. Yeah, of course they have shields. It's like Wing Commander. All right, that's when they're approaching the Death Star with all of the turrets yeah. and stuff on the surface. Yeah, it's right? like, oh, you know, set your deflector shields double front, and so you could set your deflector shields to double strength, either forwards or backwards. And yeah, I always remember that's like super frantic. You're getting attacked, and then you do the exactly. what was it, like a single quote to uh, transfer your laser powered shields. <laughs> so it was like. Uh, I remember it was like SSS to, to balance them and then just <laughs> exactly. mash that key over and over again. Mm-hmm. Now, remind me, so, so Wing Commander had a really weird quirk, and I want to say it was in all of the Wing Commanders, but it might have just been Privateer, 
that? What's that? If you, so, so in X-Wing, you could hit shield, 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 and it would automatically set full front, full back, or balanced. Um, but did the shields have to recharge after you've moved them from end to end on the ship, or did they immediately just work? They would. I don't remember. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go they ahead. would basically, uh, they would take whatever power there was, and they would okay. distribute it into kind okay. of a, it evenly. Because in Wing Commander, right. it has this really annoying quirk, and I want to say it's in all of them, but I think it's only in Privateer now that I think about it, where if you hit so. shield, shield, shield to screw around with your shield strength, if it was on full and then you turn it off and then you turn your shield back on again, it actually takes like a minute or two to build yeah, them back up. Yeah, it had to like up. fully recharge. Yeah, that was Privateer only, I think, or maybe they okay. had it in like the uh, the 3D games later, but Wing Commander 1 and 2 definitely, mm-hmm. you couldn't do anything Did to not your have shields. That. Okay. Right. And I think that was because in X-Wing you could have double front, so if you took the energy right. from the back shield, you could like stack it on top of the shield in front, whereas in Privateer, you didn't have double anything. Yeah, and that's, that's right. what I... Yeah. So the most you could have is 100% yeah. in any one direction, and you would discard the... And I love that whole that's power right. management aspect of, like, just in general, like, if you wanted to get away, you could yeah. dump more power into your engines, or... Like, I yeah. remember, I actually pretty recently played uh, played TIE Fighter, and, uh, and, and it's important. Like, you can't... You can't <laughs> complete missions if, if you don't manage your power, because a lot of games... They have that aspect. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, you could put more power into shields or whatever, but it's not important. In X-Wing, it was like core to gameplay, to be good at yeah, that. Yeah, you're exactly. quite fragile. You're relatively fragile in mm-hmm. those games. There are a lot of enemies and a lot of uh, <laughs> obstacles that you would have to uh, surmount. I remember thing, like, when I was... Through the simulation. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing that was about, like, you know, if you want to compare and contrast, you know, X-Wing to Wing Commander, just because they came out... Well, Wing Commander came out first, but... Mm-hmm. A little bit. And I, I, I will admit that I was excited about the game. I was a bit disappointed with the graphics because I was used to the bitmaps in Wing Commander. But I, oh, but, I yeah. but I soon saw kind of the advantage. X-Wing is a much smoother flowing game. Absolutely. Great frame rate. That's right. It's less jarring when you're like transitioning from like head on to Another like podcast. 45 degree yeah. angle. With a, oh. Yeah, render chip. The host who's convenient. I always, <laughs> I always love in X-Wing how, you know, it's like, you know, go and scan those cargo containers or something like that. And yeah. I would just love how if you just set yourself on to, like, uh, maximum speed, they would just slowly creep up to you, and it really felt three-dimensional, and Wing Commander yeah. always felt chunky, no matter what you were doing. No, it definitely it's it definitely true. did. And the other thing was the mission design in X-Wing was very much, and that's why I brought up the other podcast, because the host over there, who's conveniently also named Brian, uh, <laughs> said it said it and and it was the best example of the design is that every mission in X-Wing and its follow-on games are a puzzle. There are, oh, there's yeah. oh how so? There's certain ways like this is why the uh the strategy guides for X-Wing and TIE Fighter are very useful because there are certain ways to complete the missions and and literally oh, to the point funny. of at this point in the mission target this ship and destroy it and then target this ship and then go to this place and wait yeah. until this ship jumps in just because you're absolutely right yeah they're very scripted whereas wing commander they were scripted in the in aspect of kind of you go to the nav point there are enemies here and you have to do something yeah like zone by yeah, zone whereas in x-wing you were always kind of in the same area and things would yeah, happen and you'd have to react to them so they were very much scripted and they were very much puzzles yeah oh, no right. i i i yeah, like, specifically remember that in x-wing i think 
where I ended up getting stuck was about halfway through the game because you would have these enemies um, coming into light or coming out of light speed on opposite ends of the map. And so you had to have this timing mm-hmm. thing where the second I blow up this last dude, start motoring towards the other end of the map because they're going to be attacking, you know, a, a cargo ship out there. And I have to make it there before they, you know, get in too many hits on the cargo ship. And I remember thinking, like, wow, this is like, I really have to do this the way they designed it or else, you know, I'm screwed because I can't just hang around in this front part of the map. That's something I actually didn't like about the X-Wing and TIE Fighter games. It just felt like I was on this set, I was participating in this set narrative that was happening without my participation, which, I mean, is a good thing and a bad thing, I guess, depending on what your attitude is. But I felt like I couldn't properly win a mission unless I had already played it once. Because for that very reason, maybe I was too far away because I was having fun chasing a guy uh, further <laughs> yeah, away. Yeah, or you missed I something. I mean, it's you know, probably like, more realistic. Yeah, or you way. missed, like, oh, some TIE bombers jumped in and I didn't see them, and then whatever ship I was protecting got destroyed. I mean, yeah, yeah. it definitely has its advantages and disadvantages. I felt that it made the game a lot more frantic. Yes. Kind of in it an got, interesting way. It felt way. like I was really, yeah, really freaked out to, to just to get there in time, whereas in Wing Commander, I was like, Always just like, well, you know, I'll let those, I don't know, those retros fight with the uh, militia for a little while, and you know, I'll I'll focus on my own business and let them do their own thing. Mm-hmm. That's true. Or you would blow everyone up, and you would just kind of dilly dally. You didn't have to get to the next nav point in Wing Commander because the action wouldn't start until you yeah. Got whereas there. in X Wing, it was like everything was running on a timer, and if you were in the wrong place at the wrong time, well, you're going to have some trouble. Yeah. Yeah, like the whole scenario was in this one simulated arena, whereas with Wing Commander it was like area. Yeah, by area. so I think yeah. it's it's an interesting contrast Definitely. and Yeah, it's an important one. Oh, I I really yeah, it's funny. There not that I want to compare Wing Commander to um uh, Star Wars Forever, but I do I did love in Wing Commander versus like so let's say Star Wars they were always set pieces. The engagement would always kind of I'm sorry, in X-Wing, I keep saying Star Wars. In X-Wing, there are always set-piece kind of engagements where I would once you learn the script, then you can learn how to respond to the script and come up with strategies. But in Wing Commander, there's always this bit of randomness where shit's just going to go sideways at some point. Right. And, and I remember uh, specifically, I would love it when... Sometimes, you know, the, the, um, your, your wingman would go after different enemies, different targets. They wouldn't always target the same person every time you reran the mission. And right. you could really take advantage of, of ran- the randomization, whereas in X-Wing, I really did feel like, yeah, they were heavily, heavily scripted compared to uh, Wing Commander, which I don't know what kind of underlying uh, gameplay systems it, it, it organized itself around, but I love those moments where I could be like, you know what, the pirates started attacking the retros for no reason at all on this one map just because they hate each other. I'm going to take advantage of that while you guys fight it out. I'm running for the map point and I'm going to jump out. I'm not even going to bother saving you know, the cargo ship that I'm supposed to be protecting. Um, that kind of thing. Or, or do the, do the like, lame-ass cheesy thing where you just let, let your two mortal enemies eliminate each other and then just, just like cherry-pick the last two enemies left on the screen. That would never happen in X-Wing, in my experience. Yeah, and I think games like Privateer and stuff were definitely more random. The other Wing Commander games were a little bit more scripted, but still not quite as scripted as as (laughs) X-Wing would be. Yeah, Yeah, it's rare... It's rare that you find like more than two sides opposing each other, so you don't get quite so many of those. That's true. Yeah, random events like and, you would in Doom, where you try to get them to shoot each other, that kind of a thing. <laughs> I remember Wing Commander had an issue too, where 
Um, I think it was Wing Commander One. I want to say specifically, the mine, the the the, the maps that were, had mines in them would would not always mm. respond in the same way. So sometimes the enemy ships would just damage themselves to death on mines, and you wouldn't have to do too much. Yes, and I would, that I, I, I would just like breathe a sigh of, sigh of relief when that happened. Exactly. Oh, because you don't really you really don't want to fly through those mines. Oh, I hated That's those right. freaking missions. They were awful. Those suck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there were some other things I remember about X-Wing now that I think about it. I love that you had, didn't you have the opportunity to, like, open or close your S-foils? Yeah, there was never a reason to do it. What was it, like, oh, wasn't it, like, a speed versus maneuverability I, thing, or am I I don't think that? it ever made a difference. The only thing it would do is disable your weapons, unless I'm wrong. I, yeah. I, I don't, I I don't you, think. I thought you also have to lock, uh, oh. on, uh, like, Fold in your S foils every time you want to go into hyper hyperspace yes. too. Am I yeah. wrong about that? Oh, but when you hit, it would do it automatically when you hit the hyperspace button. It was just a, it was. Oh effect. yeah, that's what it was. Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah they put it in there for for effect, but it was yeah. cool, especially I once lo- you got I the B wing, and you know you'd see the B wing do it, and the X wing does it, and it was quite cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, and all those ships looked so beautiful. All the friendly ships, they were really spectacular. Oh to yeah, look at. yeah, and that was Very oh, and that's a, that's another material. thing too. Um, X-Wing, I guess I am going to keep comparing them. X-Wing really gave me that feeling like I'm in a mass battle as yes. opposed to in, 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 uh, Wing Commander games. I always felt like I was wrapped in this like little foam bubble. Like there was always just like, there's this little bubble around the engagement and nothing would happen outside the engagement. But in X-Wing, I'm like, oh, this feels like a big mass battle where there's like 20 ships going at each other. Um, I don't think X-Wing really had that big of a battle if I remember correctly but I do remember it feeling big to me. Yeah and I think the one of the important things with that are that the first of all the the draw distance was very long Yes so it like, was. If there, if there was like a Star Destroyer anywhere in, in the arena you could see it. I mean it might just be. That's right. It might just be a few pixels but you'd be able to see it and that's like if it was very very far away and also that the big ships felt big. Yeah, they they did, and in, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because in it wasn't until Wing Commander three that big ships felt, felt big. In Wing Commander one and two, they just felt ridiculous. Like, or coming up to a planet in Privateer is just goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of pl- the planet taking up like one thousandth time your type of your ship, uh, sorry, the size of your ship, it's just this tiny little icon on the screen that just kind of gets blurrier and blurrier. Yeah. Whereas this, you could fly like because it was it, it was it wasn't bitmapped. It was just polygons you could go up and fly under the Star Destroyer or fly around. Like, I would just have fun sometimes, you know, after the mission, when I was just kicking, I would just kick around and, like, fly around the Mon Cal Cruiser and, you know, stuff yeah. before before going into hyperspace or, and even more so in TIE Fighter because you actually had to uh, had to dock a lot of times. Yeah, I was, just about, I was just about to say, it was TIE Fighter that added docking maneuvers, right? Yeah. yeah oh, I love that. I was like, I so sorely missed that because that was my favorite part of Link Matter 3. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, in TIE Fighter, TIE Fighter basically took, I mean, maybe we can just roll into TIE Fighter at this point, but TIE Fighter basically took, to me, everything that was good about X-Wing, and they took out all the little annoying things, like the no, like, match speed with target was like a godsend. Oh, my God, I was so happy when they added that. (laughs) Yeah, that, and then adding, like, the docking maneuvers where you could, like, reload your your missiles partway through a mission, and... Just everything oh, about it was better. I think I just spent more time with X-Wing, so that's why I have more memories of it. Yeah, I remember um, I, I, at the time I was working way up north, and my coworker was this uh, older Polish guy, and he was just absolutely obsessed with Star Wars. 
And I remember he had <laughs> he had access to these BBSs way down in the States. And he, I, I won't say this guy's name, but he had somehow probably come across some Sprint Canada or AT&T calling cards, um, if anybody's familiar with the idea of carding. And he had a way to dial up these BBSs way down in the States. And I remember he got the, uh, like a kind of a zero day version of the TIE Fighter Imperial Pursuit add-on way, like way before anybody else. Um, It would be, you know, another two or three months before it would show up in stores in Canada. And I remember playing the Imperial Pursuit. I think it was Imperial Pursuit. uh, That was was the the first expansion for X-Wing. Oh, it was X-Wing. Oh, sorry. What was the add-on for um, um, TIE Fighter called? Oh, I tried. There was were a few it, of them. Was it was it B Wing? No. Oh, oh B Wing was the second one. So Imperial Pursuit and B Wing were the ones for X Wing. For X Wing, I'm trying to remember. I swore there was an add on for Tie Fighter. I yeah, guess it no, was for X Wing. So there's Defender of the Empire. Oh, Defender of the Empire. Thank yeah. you. That was what it was called. Yeah, Defender of the Empire. And I remember he got the DOE add on way ahead of anybody else. And we were sitting in the uh, the the lab behind our our service in our service area. And just like playing this, and it was so bloody hard. Um, Defender of the Empire was incredibly, incredibly hard game. Did you, either of you guys ever t- had the chance to play that? Oh yeah, no, I definitely did. Oh, crazy! I also remember expansions were that way. I also remember like from Wing Commander, the the secret missions were like horribly difficult, and I think these <laughs> ones were less brutal than those than the Wing Commander ones, but they yeah. were definitely much harder. Yeah, and definitely. I think that's when they introduced that the missile boat, which was kind of a weird ship. Oh, Brian, did you have a chance to play uh, either of those? Wait, do we lose Brian? Oh, we may have. <laughs> oh, there you are. Oh, I, you're back. I did my usual. I like leaned against my mute button. I don't even know how long I've been muted. So. I, I think you've um, been muted for about five minutes. That's my guess. <laughs> that's that's just great. Um, my my really my only experience really with um, Tie Fighter, which I just played briefly, was um, yeah enjoying the updated engine and definitely the uh, match. Uh, match ship speed thing. Yeah. But also, f- the weirdest thing that I liked the best of all was flying in the weakest of the TIE fighter ships, which didn't even have right, shields. Right, just a straight up. Oh, head. yeah. Like, I loved that. It was just so tense. Oh. That was the only, that was really the only thing that I cared to play in uh, the whole, that that whole game was just the, the simplest, crappiest little TIE oh, fighter. Oh, yeah. That was like going in without wearing your rubber. It was like the scariest, <laughs> <laughs> scariest little, 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 uh, uh, enjoyment on earth. I, um, it was, it I, was like two hits in your dead. Yeah. Two hits. hits. I remember specifically when that game came out, I was hanging out on IRC at the time and there was this one guy who hung out on our channel and he famously owned this Toyota MR2. If anybody's familiar with what that car looks like, mm-hmm. it was kind of like I a, remember those. it's like a two seater sports car with a rear engine. And I remember he referred to it as the tie fighter. And I'm like, why do you call this thing the tie fighter? He's like, because he's like, two hits and I bloody explode on the highway. <laughs> he's like, the whole body is made out of fiberglass. And he's like, if I get touched by a fly, you feel like the whole body shudder. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember it was years later that I finally played TIE Fighter. I'm like, this is what he's talking about. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I really love that little ship. And plus, um, was it the, oh, remind me of the ship models. Is it the TIE Defender that came with shields? The TIE Defender was like the epic one. Yeah, that one definitely had shields. I, I think later on in the game, they would occasionally give you a TIE Fighter that did have shields. That did have shields? Okay. But the uh, the, TIE, the, the TIE Advanced had shields. 
oh, the Tide Vance. Oh, man, the Tide Vance was like, basically, isn't that Darth Vader's ship? It was like the most badass ship on Earth. Yeah, the Tide Vance was cool. And then, yeah, and then I think, I can't remember if the Tide Defender only came out in the expansion or not, but it was, it was like kind of the most epic. And then there was like the assault gunboat and other stuff like that, which were stupid. But yeah, yeah, (laughs) I I remember flying and and the Tide Vance was so bloody fast. Yeah. I mean, it just like, it just outpaced everything on the screen. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is like such a great sensation of speed. Yeah, it was. And that's a hard thing to pull off when you're in just open space and there's nothing but blackness. And exactly. Like nothing really. Yeah, that, that's a really hard thing for them to pull off. And they did do a wonderful job of uh, of, of giving you a sense. Yeah, of Yeah, and speed. the other yeah. thing they did really well in, in TIE Fighter was uh, they definitely, I guess it, it, if, if we want to go back to compare to Wing Commander, it's the same difference that they did, the same thing they did between Wing Commander 1 and Wing Commander 2. You know, X-Wing, right. there was story and, you know, you played through the things and there were cutscenes and whatever. But in TIE Fighter, there was like really a story. And you yeah, were... And, exactly. And it was the big question that I had kind of when when the game was coming out. I'm like, yeah, you know, it, it'll be cool to play the other side, but I don't want to be like an Imperial. They're the bad guys. You know, I just don't want to like kill people randomly and be a jerk. And It's kind of how yeah, I felt. But yeah. they, they pulled it off. Like they made it they made you important, even though you're just this little yeah. cog in this big, massive machine. And there was a the whole thing with the secret order of the emperor and like bonus objectives and secondary objectives. And, you know, they were able to make you feel important. I really love the uh, mission briefings in TIE fighter. I always felt more so the next wing that I was actually like a part of the team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you check in with a guard at the start when you're putting in, I think you're putting in your call sign. Um, Oh, right, when you signed in in the beginning. Yeah, when you're you a pilot, that's what he... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. I love that. And it just reminded me, actually, I think it was X-Wing. Uh, it's either X-Wing or Wing Commander 2, um, just to go back a bit, was the first... Oh, this is really funny. It was the first... So I, uh, with X-Wing, I had a pirated version I downloaded from a BBS. And what happened was... Oh, this is so frustrating. My buddy had a 486 with a sound blaster, and I didn't at the time. I had a 286, so I couldn't play X-Wing at all. And he had a, a sound blaster 8-bit, and I remember hearing like the music at the start, and I was just blown away because it was my first time hearing sound blaster FM. And then the guy didn't know how his IRQs worked properly. Oh. And he always had the same thing. He would just like kind of randomly put in a number one and ask for the IRQ. So this happened on several games. <laughs> um, this also happened on Wing Commander 2, too. I think I've mentioned that on a previous episode. Um, it would get one audio clip into the game, then lock up the audio. So the only thing you could hear was MIDI <laughs> for the rest of the game. So I had no idea that it was, I think it was, I think it was um, X-Wing, that there was actual like digital audio in the game. Um, and I only, only just heard like MIDI background music the entire game. It was like oh, yeah, no, there two was, years. There... Oh, Funny. that's so painful. Oh, that's crazy. Like, two and, years yeah, later, actually, I finally heard it. Yeah, and, and, the, and the music is actually something that's very important in, in both these games because of the whole... You know, oh, right. First of all, the MIDI was great, and but the iMuse system was used so well. Yeah, in, uh, I loved when you, when you jumped into an engagement and it triggered the... Such a great, great, uh, great transition into it. Yeah, and and man, I don't remember any of this. I oh yeah, so basically this became it was a huge part of gameplay because you know you you would miss like on the bottom they had the status text of oh uh, you know four new uh, tie bombers have jumped in right. have entered have exited hyperspace mm-hmm. but at the same time the music would change there's there was a musical cue for new enemies there was a musical cue for new allies coming in there That's was a right. musical cue for ally being destroyed objective being completed so you didn't even have to read most of the status text. 
because yeah. you would just hear the music changing appropriately. I, and mm. I love how it was, it was subtle, uh, right? It was, there was, you know, you would just learn on your own what each musical cue meant. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. no instruction. And I love that. That's really, really subtle. But yeah, and it worked so well, and it was always very smooth. Like just the way they used uh, the LucasArts iMuse system was amazing. Yeah, and, it's funny. And, and I was upset that in the later, in the collector's versions and the Windows versions, when they started improving it, they got rid of that and they just put in looping Star oh. Wars Red Book audio tracks. Oh, what a yeah. Shame. Oh, oh I didn't know that. See, I, it's really funny. I only ever owned the uh, floppy editions when I was a kid, so I didn't realize that that was stripped out later. Yeah, it's mm. what version is on the what versions do they have? They have all of them, you know. Oh wow! Oh good, that's the best way. So to there's, do it. I think you, if you Google around, there's like some matrices of like which versions have what. So I think it's the the collectors' versions don't have the audio, but then there's so I think there's the original DOS versions, and then there's like the special editions, and then there's the collectors' CD-ROMs. So the collectors' CD-ROMs don't have the oh. audio. I think the special editions do. It gets kind of confusing. Oh, that's mm. interesting, Brian. Weren't you saying on a previous episode? That, oh no no sorry this was for sorry this is for a completely different game. There was copy protection on a floppy version, but not the collector's edition, right? Yeah, because uh, CD-ROMs were weren't because they figured nobody could. You can't copy a CD. That's six hundred <laughs> What are you going to do with all mm-hmm. that data? Yeah, and I think I'm trying to remember if it was the same for Tie Fighter, but yeah, X-Wing had in the manual at the bottom corner of each page there was like a a, a, a pattern in I can't remember the name of the Star Wars language now. But yeah, like exactly. A, Wasn't oh, it like sorry, a droid language or something? No, actually, yeah, sorry. It's called Orabesh. Oh, that's the okay. language that in in this, if you watch the Star Wars movies and you see wherever there's like handwriting or you know like actual right. like writing, it's in this oh, weird language, like on the sides of walls and stuff. Yeah, hmm. yeah. It's called Orabesh, and that's kind of like oh. their their written language. And oh, cool. uh, there were these, or, yeah, and there were these Orabesh kind of three character combinations in the corner of every page and underneath would be the name of a star wars planet oh. and so that, yeah, you'd have to it would show you the pattern and you'd have to type in the name of the corresponding uh planet that's interesting because mm-hmm. every time i played it uh thank you locksmith pc uh, <laughs> it, would, it would automatically fill in all of those things so i'd bypass the security check completely there you go yeah so you always had to have locksmith was that like some multi-game crack yes do you remember it I do all of a sudden. I forgot about it till this very second. It was like it cracked like a hundred games. At least I think it was, it was like a memory like, resident more like thing. a thousand games. It had a huge, huge list. Oh, you're right, and it kept getting bigger. Oh, and you know it's funny. A, like a, uh, a year or two ago, maybe two years ago, I tried to find a copy of Locksmith PC, and it does not exist on the internet. Um, so oh. if someone ever comes across this in your old disk box, please. The last version I want to say I had Locksmith PC version six. Um, unfortunately lost on the dead hard drive somewhere. Um, but if I do find it, I'm going to send it to Jason Scott because it's like, yeah, it was so good. And it would, it, and the best part was, okay, so this is in, in theoretical, how can I say this? Um, I'm going to switch over to, I am just telling a story. This bears no relation to reality mode. Um, okay. Yes. <laughs> in theory, what you, one person did was, uh, release games under an abandonware uh, uh, release group. And then, because none of us had uh, experience with uh, assembly, we couldn't write our own cracks. And I didn't want to mess around with the hex editor because I didn't really know how, how that worked. So what we did was, for every one of the games we released, if we couldn't find an off-the-shelf crack for it, we would dig into Locksmith PC and then um, crack it with Locksmith and then release it 
And the, unfortunately, the problem was we had an unregistered version of Locksmith. So what it would do oh. is every time you'd launch the game, it would show you this blue screen saying this, this copy protection was broken by Locksmith PC. Call 1-800-something-something-to-order. And I, right. in, in retrospect, that looks so unprofessional and embarrassing. But, <laughs> um, yeah, the Atlant- under the Atlantis label, um, this person who may or may not exist released a lot of stuff using Locksmith's uh, built-in <laughs> cracking system. Oh, that's nice. funny. Yeah. I relate on that, too. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and Next Wing was definitely one of them, because I remember that damn blue screen coming up every single time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nice. Um, is that everything we wanted to say about uh, TIE Fighter? Because if so, I wanted to briefly bring up X-Wing versus TIE oh, Fighter. Please. Did you guys ever yep, play that one? Oh, yeah. Next on my list. Okay, good. Me too. So this one, I believe it was like... This was a like a sandboxy sort of a game in comparison. It was kind of like... It had a bunch of scenarios, but it didn't have very much context around them. And right. I don't think it had much of a story or anything. It was like a Windows 95 game with... Um, an updated 3D engine, and it supported some new 3D accelerators. It was probably a DirectX game, as a matter of fact. And I think, most importantly, Um, multiplayer, right? That's what I was going to bring up. The really noteworthy thing about it was that it supported this Microsoft service called The Zone. Oh, my God. Which was supposed to be (laughs) this, like... uh, this hub for multiplayer gaming, and I think they had some like card games and stuff on there as well. But uh, their real darling was X-wing versus Tie Fighter, and it let you play competitively or even cooperatively. That's right. You're you're flying uh, with other people on your wing, trying to defeat NPCs, and that's uh, I only did that once or twice. Me too. But that was super super cool, and it was a great engine, and it took everything that looked great about the previous games and made them look so much better. I think it um, it used textured. Yeah. Um, polygons did, yes. as opposed to the DOS ones, which just had uh, um, flat... Yeah, like Garrod cheating or whatever that's called. Yeah, Garrod. Garrod, right. yeah, that's um, Yeah, and I think... I don't... Uh, X, I think X-Wing versus TIE Fighter was actually very, very ahead of its time. Like, I bought it the same thing, and I don't have a ton of experience with it just because I played this... I, I wasn't much into multiplayer, so yeah, I didn't play a lot of it, but from the people... And I think when it first came out, the netcode wasn't perfect so you know it was, it was a little pretty good it was it was not terrible by any measure um mm-hmm. when it first came out i played it with dial up and it did the trick yeah exactly i was on i was on uh 288 i believe dial up at that point maybe even 336 um mm. and i remember we would go on and i think we had like 16 players um uh, simultaneous in a zone somebody correct me wow um, yeah i think you could one, have up to I, that many yeah, and I think we, we I, I hung out on a fairly large IRC channel, so they basically just made ISOs for everybody, and we all jumped in. And it was very playable, even with that many people. Um, I remember I, I unfortunately lived really far away from everyone else, so my ping times were insane, like 300 milliseconds. Um, so basically everything I shot was a miss. But... I do remember that the people who were um, the people who were kind of geographically close to each other had said it was really, really, really playable. So um, I, I remember I only played a couple of times because you know obviously at the time I was in a rural area, um, you know, with very staticky, nasty phone lines. So I would drop in and out of the game every five minutes. But I remember it was surprisingly good netcode for its time. Yeah, it was very good, and actually you can still, so now that you can get all these games on GOG, you can get X-Men vs. TIE Fighter, and there's a service that I believe is called Game Ranger. Oh, Which you can really? download X-Men vs. TIE, yeah, and you can play multiplayer. And, uh, Holy and that's I know crazy. Some, I know some guys that get together every couple of Thursdays. I haven't had a chance to do it with them, 
But uh, they run a game. They're running through the uh, kind of the story missions, yep, or whatever it is. The group, the cooperative missions, and uh, it's it's right. a lot of fun. Oh, that's, that's amazing! Great. I think the whole game was playable either as single player or cooperatively. If I'm remembering right, it was just all the same like open ended scenarios that would. Yeah, I think initial, over, initially over there were the very few scenarios, and then they released an expansion that had more okay. because people had complained that the single player was was poor, and what so was they the released expansion called. It was called, let me look it up here. I'm, I'm trying to remember if I even played that. Balance of Power, yes. X-Wing versus TIE oh, Fighter, Balance, Balance of, of Power. Oh, Balance of Power, yes. I did oh, have that. I've heard of it. I never played I it, but I, I had it. I realized that was a... Yeah, that I, was an expansion. Initially, there, was, there, there wasn't a ton of content in there because the, the point of the game was for it to be multiplayer. Like, that was the... Right, the, right. Yeah. Kind it of the design decision. Yeah. And then people and were I remember kind of it was one of the. I want to say it was one of the first or the first game... I ever played via TCPIP um, over the net against other people. I might be wrong yeah. about that, but it was around. It came out around the same time as this game called Subspace, which was also uh, TCPIP based. Mm. Um, Didn't it also come out around the same time as Diablo? Yes. Yeah, exactly. I, so. I yeah. I'm trying to remember which of those games would have been my first TCPIP. And experience. I think for me it might have been Diablo or it's either Diablo or, or XBT. That was my first TCPIP. But mm-hmm. I do remember Diablo. Yeah, it it was it was a lot more stable. I think just because you only had a couple, you know, a few players in at maximum at the same time. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I don't have too much to say about it, just that it looks so, so beautiful, just having the te- those polygons textured, and I'm sure they added a bunch of uh, geometry to the model. Oh yeah, it was, it was a well. great-looking game. It was it was very important, again, like Rebel Assault from a technological standpoint, because it definitely... Mm-hmm. The rest of the previous games had no multiplayer whatsoever. They yeah, what, out of curiosity, around that time, which 3D accelerator cards would you guys have had, if any? Oh, I had I had one uh, similar to how you described yours. It was a Matrox Millennium, Ooh, nice. which was that's a good card. Well, it wasn't. It, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no? It was one of those things where the 3D accelerated stuff. I think I could I think I could render poly- polygon games faster with the CPU than I could with a 3D accelerator. A 3D accelerator. <laughs> Even the demos that came with the card, and maybe it's because by the time I bought it, it was already old. I don't know, but it was way cheaper than the. Uh, it was way cheaper than the, the Voodoo uh, 2, I think, at the time. Yes. And there was a follow-up card, the Matrox Mystique. Yes. yes. And that was that was the better one. Okay. Mine was, like I think, like a workstation CAD kind of a okay, card. Okay, maybe I'm confusing it with the Mystique then, because I remember one of them was ungodly expensive. Maybe. The only benefit mine had was that it had some feature called Windows Acceleration, which was able to, like do 256 high-res graphics uh, in an accelerated fashion, okay. which was ideal for Windows 95, I think, at the time. Wow. But otherwise, it was... it was. I may as well not have had a 3D card at all. I didn't do anything ever. <laughs> what about you, Joe? How about you? I had... So I think if we're getting into the Pentium days, which I think that makes sense, I had, a, had a, an ATI 3D Rage, but that oh, nice. it wasn't... Mm. The, but that wasn't really... I think it had some 3D functionality, but it didn't really do much. It was the first one, Yeah, so it wasn't very good. And so what I ended up doing was I got, because the 3D Rage also did 2D. uh, Right. So I ended up up getting a Voodoo 1. Like, yeah, I got a Voodoo 1. I had had the the external card, what's it called, the the link cable. Yeah, right. And all that, and then I remember, you know, playing, it came with like Macquarie or 2, you know, uh, 
I had so many copies of MechWarrior 2 because I remember I bought the original version and then when I got the PC that had that came with the the uh, 3D Rage, I got MechWarrior 2 3D Rage edition. <laughs> and then when I got the Voodoo, I got the uh, <laughs> another copy of it for the Voodoo card. And uh, obviously the Voodoo card was much much superior to the to the 3D Rage, so that was my. Oh, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember what what happened after that. I definitely remember getting that one, and then after that I get got like a it's a long time with that Pentium 200, and I think yeah, I jumped I from that Pentium to, yeah I jumped from that Pentium 200 to a Pentium 3. Oh wow, that's a mm. massive jump. I think I went yeah. from a. I did that jump too. I never had a P2. I think I went from a Pentium 200 MMX to a Celery. Uh, celery 300 or something like that <laughs> and uh <laughs> i think celery is faster yeah it was marginally marginally better card but you could overclock the shit out of it um i remember see i'm uh, i've been racking my brain i remember having an s3 card now i want to say it was an s3 verge um which is the biggest piece of shit i've ever owned in my entire life in terms of a 2D, really? 3D card. And I remember, ah, this is like so frustrating. There were several competing 3D formats at that point. There was 3DFX Glide. There was something by a company called Orchid 3D. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, vaguely. Orchid had its own standard. Then there was Riva. Um, TNT w- yeah. was supported DirectX. I, I can't honestly remember. Um, but I had one of those bastard cards that tried to do, you know, everything poorly, basically. And I was really, really cheap, so I couldn't afford anything nice. And um, it was like semi-3D accelerated. And I remember, it, yeah, it was the way you describe your Rage 3D. You're better off the software render because you'll actually get textured stuff on your... Right. on your, your uh, <laughs> And even though, even though it'll be rendering really slow. And um, ah, this is really bothering me. The- Hello. Oops. What happened? Hello. Uh oh. I guess it does really. (laughs) Poor guy. Let me see if I can get him back. Mm, Says that he's still on. I'll hang up on him and try to get him back. Yeah, I could probably go until about five thirty-ish, and then I'll probably have to take off. Okay. Yeah. Understandable. So we might have to do a part two. That would be terrific. Sorry hey. about that. My my phone actually automatically disconnected me after four hours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'll do it. <laughs> um, no, all I was saying was that uh, with the um, uh, with the S3 Verge card, oh, sorry, with the 3DFX Glide card, when I finally got a Voodoo, um, I do remember one thing specifically. That blue pass-through cable he had to use to connect the output of the 3D effects card up to your regular 2D card would actually introduce a bunch of ghosting. So your picture quality would degrade just by using one of those pass-through cables. And Hmm. I was so excited for the day when they finally got 2D 3D cards integrated together. And I think that might have been the reason why I got that Diamond Monster 3D so I could have Ah. proper... Yeah, proper picture quality, because I remember when I ran my monitor at 85 hertz in Windows, you'd get this terrible amount of ghosting on it, and I pulled off the pass-through cable, and I realized, oh my god, this is just adding a bunch of impedance to the signal, and it's actually just making my monitor look like shit. So <laughs> That's interesting. Isn't that bizarre? It's like, a, yeah, cable attenuation yeah, or signal exactly. attenuation or something like that. Yeah. That's really something, <laughs> the, the uh, analog cable, I yeah, guess, it, between the two. Yeah, that's exactly it. And then at some point... 
I don't know if this started with Voodoo, but it might have been Voodoo 2, where you had SLI mode, where you could connect two Voodoo's together. And uh, That was Voodoo 2, I believe, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I just remember, like, just being shocked by the idea that you could have a little SLI cable that let them render the two different frames of each, uh, the positive and negative frames of each, uh, each, uh, uh, each picture. And... Oh, did it did it alternate frames in the rendering, or did it one render the top and the other did I think, the bottom, I think it one did left and the other did right? Depending. It did both. Or is interlacing, maybe? It did, it. It did okay. both, and I think you could select in software which it was doing. Huh. But I, I never... Pretty cool, I never yeah. Well, that's if you had a lot of money. Yeah, I never owned Voodoo 2, so I never got to try it myself. No, it doesn't interest me anyway. It takes so much electricity. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. Crazy. All right. So that's that's X-wing versus Tie Fighter, I guess. Let's uh, try to squeeze in as much as we can yeah. uh, while we've got time together. Uh, Joe, what would you recommend we chat about? Uh, next? We could go to Dark Forces. Sure. Oh, let's go to Dark yes, Forces. Definitely. Try and hit all the big guys, and then if we have to do, maybe we'll do this again one day and hit some of the smaller ones. Sure. Oh, gladly, gladly. Yeah. So Dark Forces. The I guess do do we call it a Doom clone in that area era of uh, first person shooters? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, pretty did. much. Oh. But it was a Star Wars Doom clone. <laughs> that it was. Did you do you like this game? I do. I do. I I. The first one is kind of stands on its own, I think, and then because the rest of them kind of go a go a different direction, but it's it's yeah, definitely. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting, and the one thing I remember about it, if I'm thinking of the, if it is the first one, is that the game was also very vertical. Oh, that's an interesting way of thinking uh, oh, about yeah, it. Oh, yeah, that's right, it was. There were a lot of ledges and uh, elevators and stuff. That's yeah, right. so in that yeah, way, could, I think... Yeah, was a that's bit right. Like, you, could see, you could see, like, architecture way above your head, which I really liked. There's, like, a stormtrooper 500 feet above your head. And I think auto-aim would shoot upwards or downwards automatically for you, so sometimes you'd be trying to shoot someone in front of you, but the laser would be going at a 45-degree <laughs> angle. That sounds up. right. Yeah, no, that definitely. That, that I think I am thinking of the right one. And uh, hmm. Yeah, and again, I thought the game told a, an interesting story, and um, you're, who are you? Are you? Is it Kyle Katarn? That's who you are. Yes, Kyle I think Katarn, so. yeah. You're, it's the same character throughout. Yeah, you're always it? Kyle Katarn, and uh, the story in the first game was interesting, is you had to fight these, like, crazy uh, dark dark troopers that were right. like stormtroopers on steroids and there were like different mm. uh, iterations of them so the first one was like kind of easier to beat and it was like very skeletal and it had like just a regular gun and like a sword or something and until you got to the, the most complicated one that had like fired like rockets at you <laughs> mm-hmm. did you finish yes, the game? yes that game I definitely wow. finished Okay, I sure as heck didn't. I, this is a game where I played the demo and it sold me on the full experience. Uh, sold me on doesn't necessarily mean that I bought it, I don't think, but uh, I really didn't like it past the first level or two. I found it really hard. There were no save states or anything like that, so if you died, you had to start from the very beginning. And um, I don't know, I just found it very, very difficult. It's absolutely gorgeous in its presentation, like unmatched with the sound and the music and the mm-hmm. graphics. Yeah. But I just found it supremely frustrating, and I was always getting lost because a lot of the environments looked very Yeah, strange. and I think the big <laughs> challenge there was especially, I think it's either the second mission or the third mission. I think it's actually just the second mission is is like a you know one of the infamous sewer levels. Yeah. Oh, that right. Yeah, and I think once you got past that, it, was, it wasn't quite as mazy, but yeah, the game, it was a very kind of not very uh, navigable game, let's say. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
I um But everything else about it was fine. I mean the the action was good. It looked awesome and impactful when you would shoot somebody and there would be like a little puff of smoke mm-hmm. or something or a little spark when you hit them. It sounded great. It felt like kind of meaty and chunky and tactile. It had a lot going for it. It was just the level design, I think, that must have turned me off. Of it. That's kind of interesting because it, you know, this is going to sound like sacrilege. I can't imagine people who are going to cringe hearing this. As a child and as an adult, I thought it was infinitely superior to Doom. <laughs> I oh really? I really, really loved Dark Forces when I played it. I I, I mean, I, what was it? The setting? I think it was partly the setting. I think it was little things. I mean, I know that. Doom, in terms of design, in terms of presentation, was technically a superior game in every respect. But hmm. Doom never had charm to me, which was a, a really different thing. And uh, That's true. It's, it, this had a lot of charm to it. There was some, some way where I felt like I was exploring these really big, expansive environments. And I was following along in a meaningful storyline, as opposed to into Doom, I was just there to blow up shit. Right. Um, as fast as possible. And I really felt like I was hmm. involved in a world as opposed to in Doom where I was like just exploring a scary space. And um, I don't know. I, I pref- always preferred the puzzles in uh, Dark Forces. They, the, some of the areas had you know, these switch puzzles where you had to figure out how to you know, turn on an elevator or something like that. Um, yeah, they're like right out of Ultima Underworld, yeah, the switch puzzles. Exactly, basically. yeah. And, and I, just preferred, I just preferred the overall... Um, setting and everything like that um, to Doom, even though I think, you know, when I look at Doom, I can give it a thousand reasons why it's a better game. Um, I really, really, really prefer Dark Forces for that. Plus, um, Dark Forces never once for me had, even though it was a very difficult game, it never had that intensity, that kind of frustrated kind of smash the keyboard or move the mouse as quickly as possible. I always felt like I had a little bit more time left for thinking in, in Dark Forces to uh, get through the levels. But I, you know, I was probably playing it on easy mode or whatever, and uh, that might have something to do with it. No, but I think, yeah, Doom's a much more visceral kind of experience, yeah, whereas Dark exactly. Forces, yeah, Dark Forces is, you know, it's it does better at world building, and, and yeah, there's a bit more thinking, there's a bit more downtime. It's not just blow up the next That's enemy. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And plus, in Dark Forces, you're clearly the good guy, and in Doom, I guess you're, like, the best out of a bunch of awful right. stuff. <laughs> Yeah, that's so. It's kind of gallant in its tone, uh, Dark Forces. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I liked, yeah, I like the pace, the difference in pace. You know, in Doom, you're basically always on edge, 24 hours a day. And in Dark Forces, they give you breathing spaces between levels where you know you know that there's going to be stormtrooper around that next bend, but you've got time to wait it out. You've got time, you know, before they come hunting you down. And I just, I don't know. It was just, it was just more. It feels relaxing when I play Star, uh, Dark Forces as opposed to playing Doom where I'm like, you know, absolutely terrorized by each room, room I'm in. Mm-hmm. I can see that. But yeah, I... I don't, I, I don't feel the same way, but I can totally see how you would. Yeah, no, I, and I know it's a specific exception because, um, you know, for, there's every reason to believe that Doom is just a far superior game. <laughs> mm-hmm. So is Dark Forces worth sticking out to the end, at least with the story and the sights that you see and the guys? That no, it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting. I mean, I guess it's more of a personal thing. I would, but then I'm a huge Star Wars nut. So, but yeah, I mean, it's cool because mm-hmm. you get to see like this this big crazy like ship called the Ark Hammer, where all the uh, dark troopers are being oh. created, and so it's it's pretty cool. Hmm. I think I I remember having the opportunity to cheat my way through it, and I just couldn't be bothered. I think because I got so lost. 
<laughs> and so many, you turn a corner. I would, I just wouldn't know what direction I was facing. Yeah, it was, I, it was definitely a challenge. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way, just to, to find your way yeah. around. It's a product of its time in that, in that sense. Out of curiosity, we, we kind of learned from our mistakes. Didn't you mention on on UMB that the desires of the Dark Forces interior space were all ex architecture students from California, or am I confusing mm. with a different game? I can't. I, I I know I mentioned that. I can't remember if it was about this game or not. It's, it's quite possible. Yeah. I think it was because I remember that the, they had a kind of theme, specific theme, organized around their architectural theory that had to do with um, kind of larger open spaces as opposed to Doom, which was much more focused on corridors and stuff like that. I it's uh. been a while. It's been a while since I listened to that episode. Me too. <laughs> I can see that. I guess because it's uh, there's, there are like a lot of external. Uh, views of buildings, and they seem like plausible. Yeah, I, I really do love that verticality, though, where there are guys that are like forty feet uh, on a ledge above you, shooting down. Yeah, and there's like yeah, huge elevators that go up like multiple levels, and right. Hmm. Yeah, that's very well done. That's that's something that's pretty unique. Yeah, no, well, I, I definitely. So, if, yeah, I mean, Dark Force, and then if we move on to Dark Forces Two, that kind of changed gears, and you're still playing the same guy, but. All of a sudden, it turns out you have force powers. Oh, you know, I, weird. I bought this game late in the game, and I just couldn't. It was so old by the time I tried it that I couldn't get into it. So huh. I'd love to hear you talk about it, Joe. I really liked Dark Forces 2, and I'm trying to remember if this is where the FMV came in or if that was in the next game. I think it was in the first one. I think I remember that from playing was it. Was it like uh, live actor on, FMV? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. A little tiny postage stamp Yeah, FMV. so the, cu- <laughs> the cutscenes. Oh, yeah, 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 because, yeah, you have this, uh, basically, the dark, the dark Jedi in this game is named Jarek, and I remember. It's, as FMV games go, it's not bad. As Star Wars goes, okay. it's ridiculously cheesy and not very good. <laughs> but, uh... So this is like, this is like kind of FMV shot against a blue screen kind of stuff in a really bad Stormtrooper outfit? Yeah, like, it's... I. I, it's pretty poor. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> I like it. I, I I think that's fantastic. I think I, I think FMV is hated for all the right reasons, but when you go back to it and appreciate it for its camp qualities, oh man, I love the low production quality. I think it just makes. I've never played uh, Dark Forces Two, by the way, but I'm just thinking in general about FMV games. I I like laugh myself silly seeing all of the stuff that I took so seriously as a kid. Oh yeah, like just go Google like the intro, and I mean it's it, it's okay. But uh, the thing that's more interesting is that um, Dark Forces One was was two D. Dark Forces Two was kind of there for the first three uh, D because I guess oh. we're into like Quake time. Mm-hmm. But these are all uh, oh, like this was, but the, these weren't like licensed engines. This was LucasArts made these engines from scratch. Right. Yeah. And, As was the style back then. Everyone yeah, exactly. So that. this one was on the Sith engine. So this was their. Uh, and actually ended up being the same, I believe, the same engine that Grim Fandango. For Grim ended Fandango, up yeah, yeah, that's what I heard too. Yeah, they modified right. they modified this engine to to use for Grim Fandango, and it's a great looking engine. Like, huh? Yeah, it's low poly and everything, but it looks great. The graphics are great. The gameplay is is great. And again, there's even more kind of the that whole verticality thing wow. involved in this game. And I do seem to remember from my limited experience with it that. They give you don't they give you your force powers relatively early and the level design really accepts Yeah, it does that and, and yeah, and there's sort of I'm trying to remember if it's this one or the, I think it's this one, not the next one is that it there's sort of 
it's not so much an RPG element, but you get to choose, I think, how you develop your force powers. Oh, really? Like okay. you get kind of force points and you can put them into oh, different powers. That was my experience playing um, Jedi Academy. Yeah, so I might be on. mixing them up, but I think that happens here too. Wow. Maybe they got it from the earlier one. Yeah, but it, it, it's it's very cool. And just the, the lightsaber combat, because again, you think like, you know, melee combat in a first person shooter isn't usually very good. But right. uh, but they yeah. find a way to make it work, and it's interesting because as you put more, as you get better in the force, your like deflection of blaster bolts gets more effective. So in the later levels, if you're just in front of a bunch of stormtroopers, you can literally just leave yourself standing there, and you'll just deflect all their bolts, and eventually they'll they'll all die. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I love that. Yeah, the, the other many other games in the series did that. Knights of the Old Republic did that, and Jedi Academy as well. Right. I believe I remember reading that. A lot of people believe uh, Dark Forces 2 to be the best lightsaber game. I, it, be, oh, it may well be, really? yeah, because I agree. Yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty slick the way they they implemented it because yeah, it becomes it becomes pretty easy eventually to kind of go through and and just fight because like I said, you know, usually melee combat, you're like your melee weapon, like your chainsaw and doom or whatever, is just like your last ditch kind of effort. Right, and it's, right. it usually it doesn't right. end up well, but this no, it always worked very, and even to the point where when you were fighting other lightsaber users, it was it was fun. And it puts you in third person view when you have the lightsaber, yeah. Yeah, I think it does. You can switch back, I think, if you want to. Oh, really? Even for melee combat? I think so. I don't know how effective it would be, but I think you can. That would be cool. Mm. Yeah, but no, it was a very very fun game. Interesting story, and. Uh, if you haven't played it, actually, I think a lot less uh, maze-like. So mm. it may it may be worth okay. a go, and I think you can get it on Steam. And I'm not sure if they I think they released it on GOG as well. I think it might have been a compilation of a bunch of the Dark Forces games altogether. I own it either on GOG or on Steam. Mm-hmm. I think it's on Steam. I don't remember. Yeah, and then uh, and then from there I start to get fuzzy because I then that. Uh, I don't know. I guess they're okay, but I, I don't really have a ton of memories about them. Because I think there's even like yeah. a Jedi Academy two. Mm. Like there's a bunch of them. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, and there's um, like yeah, mysteries of the Sith add-on for some of these. And... Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, Jedi Academy, I think, was Dark Forces three or Jedi Knight three. Right. Yeah. Because oh. actually, three, I think. Dark Force. Yeah, the Dark Forces name got dropped after the after Jedi Knight, which was subtitled Dark mm. Forces oh, two, and then they started just being called Jedi Knight. That's right. Now, Jedi Academy, uh, which is Jedi Knight 3, that is one of my very favorite games ever. Oh, really? Um, it was made, I never got to play it's it. It's made by... Uh, it's so, so good. It's made by Raven, which uh, they, oh, wow. they uh, sub in for uh, id Software to do a lot of uh, their games mm-hmm. and their expansions. Um, and it sounds... Uh, I'm hearing a lot of similarities between what you say about um, Dark Forces 2 and this one, uh, in that... You, uh, you're not Kyle Katarn, you're like a, a, an acolyte of his, what do you call it, a Padawan right. of his. Um, and uh, the game is structured, it does have like an overall, an overarching narrative, but most of the time you are doing these little like uh, Jedi training missions. It's like one short little scenario, it's one level, and the objective is, you know, kill everybody, but um, 
to, uh, you know, for this purpose or for that purpose or to rescue someone or to get to this place on time. Uh, so you see a great variety of different locales and they don't really have to tie into each other with any sort of a plot just because it's a training mission and you're going all right. over the place wherever your services right. are needed. And the same story where every time you finish one of these missions, you're given one more force point, which you can use to spec out your character with either light side or dark side points. And you can put all of your points into one side or the other or you can spread them around. Sure. Um, and then um, uh, finally you get to this uh, one point in the story where you can choose basically do you want to do the good thing or the bad thing and then it turns you into either a dark side or a light side uh, person, mm -hmm. good or evil um, and the neat thing about going evil is that you actually become kind of like a, a rogue agent of the dark side, oh. there is the whole empire and they're a whole like uh, hierarchical organization of like organized structure as organized as they can be even though they're all like backstabbing and trying to <laughs> seek power within their own ranks but you decide that everyone is your enemy that you're going to go it alone um so that was just something unique that wow. i had never seen in star wars before i really like also that. did something else with i liked it a lot they also did something else uh which i assumed was probably like taking the star wars canon and like wiping your butt with it which was <laughs> The whole like the whole game starts out where you're investigating some kind of a disturbance in the force, of course. But what it is is there's this like magical staff, and uh, the dark the agents of the dark side are using the staff to go to these places that are strong in the force. Right. And they point the staff at it, and they drain the force from that place. Oh, weird. And I don't know, Joe. Is that a is that a it's thing? Yeah, really is that part of EU or something? I don't think so, but there's a lot of stuff in EU that you know there's there's a lot of other things like that too. So it's not it's not surprising. Okay, huh. it, it, it seems to me like 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 canonical butt wiping. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what I love about this game is just the fact that you, in addition to specking yourself with these force powers, you have innate powers like your ability to run fast or to block things with your lightsaber or to jump higher and faster or to see hidden things, and those get stronger. Every, like, five missions that you do, then you get a few story missions, and then you do another five um, uh, Jedi training missions. And so every time you finish one, some of the story missions, all of your innate powers go up a little bit, and ah. the level design reflects that so that you have to jump a little farther, or you have to slow down time to run a little bit faster to get through that door that's closing. Oh, that's crazy. So there's this one, there's this one level that's, like, my favorite level in almost any game ever, I can't remember the name of this now. What is the name of uh, the dark side? They have this, like, homeworld planet or something, and it's all desolate and rocky. It's either Korriban oh, the one from or... It's Korriban, yeah. It's Korriban. Yeah. So there's this level of Korriban, and it's very vertical, and you're, like, jumping up and down these humongous cliffs, and by the time you get to this part of the game, you can jump, like... 15 times the height wow. of your body. <laughs> so it and it's amazing platforming. Like if you can imagine wow. Mario 64 but with force jumping and stuff like that. <laughs> force jump, it's, I love it. And that and you have a lightsaber. So it's just extremely extremely rewarding. Wow. And I play the whole game like the game it has some parts where you get lost as well and like there are some objectives you have to accomplish on a huge map and you forget where you've been or what you have the key to but I put up with all of that just to get to the Korriban level because it is so epic and so very rewarding to jump super 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 high and land with pinpoint accuracy on this little ledge very awesome. cool that's awesome I think I'll have to give it a whirl because yeah. I have very vague memories I'm not even sure I think the last one I played was probably Jedi Outcast which was the one before that so right. yeah, I'll have to. Go oh, that's. I, I feel like I really missed oh. out because I stopped 
um, after after Dark Forces, I started once once the sequel started to get churned out. I was just kind of losing interest because you know once you miss one sequel, then you're like, well, I'm not going to play all of the rest of them. I really really feel like I missed out because I still have a copy of Jedi Outcast, Jedi Academy, um, all of the Jedi Knight one and two games. Oh man, that sounds great. Oh well. Anything that Raven makes, I will play, because they're an absolutely brilliant uh, developer, and they have some of the industry's best-ever level designers. So that's what makes them so exceptionally great. It had multiplayer, a big multiplayer scene in that game, too, because of the third-person lightsaber combat. I never got into that. That didn't interest me. But just doing the lightsaber combat against the Dark Jedi is so... so And I guess it was in there, because I think this was on the Quake 3 engine. Yes, you're right, it is. Which unfortunately means you have to go edit an any file if you want to run it in uh, widescreen resolution, but it also means that you can like edit it to run on high frame rate monitors and cool stuff like that. Oh, so it's sweet. very scalable, even if you don't see the options in uh, the menus cool. themselves. Thank you, John Carmack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our Lord and Savior. All right. Um, we're, we're coming up close to uh, 5.30 here, and Joe, I believe you have a hard stop in the very near yeah. future. <laughs> Unfortunately. So is this as good a place as any for us to uh, say that we'll uh, hopefully resume this and welcome you back with uh, open arms, Joe, at some point? Absolutely. I'd be happy to come back and talk more of this. Oh, awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. It's fantastic. We've got a lot lot more ground to cover because I want to cover some of the more obscure. I think we talked about a couple of obscure Star Wars licenses, but there are so many older Star Wars games, too. Oh, yeah. There's there's a bunch. I mean, I want to talk about Rebellion. I want to talk about Rogue Squadron, Episode One Racer, Republic Commando. There's a bunch here. I mean, we're getting newer. <laughs> glad to hear yeah. you say, yo, glad to hear you say episode one racer. That's on mm-hmm. my list too. Yeah, me too. And we also have to have a wing commander episode now that I think about it. Oh yeah. We do, don't we? <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, why don't we leave it at this then? We have got lots and lots of more good stuff. Yeah. My list is about two thirds exhausted when there's lots I can say about the ones that are <laughs> remaining. Beautiful. So, Hey Joe, thanks a million for joining us. It was such a pleasure to oh, have it was you great. here. You contributed a lot. Thank you so much for coming. All right. Well, folks, um, thank you for sticking with us for this very long episode. We hope you had as much much fun as we did. Um, as always, you can catch us on the web, squarefm.demodulated.com, by email for your emails and voicemails at squarefm at demodulated.com, and we're on Twitter at squarewavesfm. Yes, and, and uh, it's been wonderful talking so with to that, you all again. Mm-hmm. That's right. So uh, may the may the whatever it is be with you all, and... Uh, have a phenomenally good week. We'll talk to you all soon. Wait, hold and, on, uh, hold Make on, sure you listen on. to the Upper Memory Box podcast. Hold on, hold on. And what? Are Mighty Chlorians the, the cause of the Force? Is that true? No, that's all crap. Forget oh, yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I needed to know. I needed closure like, on this. <laughs> there's no closure. They're it's like, magic. They're like space ticks or something. <laughs> what the hell is up with that? I know. What is... What, what, what the hell? All right. I thought this episode would tell me something, damn it. It tells you that that's garbage. Oh, I know. <laughs> the mystery is okay. okay. Good to know. I feel I feel better okay. about this. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye-bye folks. We'll talk Bye, to you everyone. next time. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.